The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. Uh, well, where do we start? Uh, this is a, a continuation of the story from Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, which was Judgment Day. And we're pretending the other films were a bad dream. Hello. Time is an arrow, is it not? We are told that we can only move in one direction that the past remains a lost world, the future an undiscovered country. But imagine the ability to move back and forth at will, to draw and redraw the borders of history, for better or for worse. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and vegan cheese sauce, and you are entering Cinema Limbo, the way station for underappreciated films. Tonight's program is the 2015 science fiction action-adventure Terminator Genesis, the fifth film in the series created by James Cameron, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Amelia Clark, Jai Courtney, Jason Clark, and J.K. Simmons. My guest is Anthony Malone, and you join us in an irradiated wasteland, surrounded by the remnants of a civilization brought low by its own hubris. Hello, Anthony. Hello, Jeremy. See, it's a new series. I told you I'd be back. You are, indeed. And um, speaking of being back... Sounds like a movie quote, that. What do you think of Terminator Genesis? Why are you asking me that question? Do you suspect that my opinion of this film might be at the bottom of the Mariana Trench? Or Well, you've been whining about it enough times. My opinion of this film, I believe, differs from your opinion of this film. Diametrically. I, I think this film is, is not bad enough to get particularly excited about. Um, I just think it's a fairly mediocre bit of corporate crap, personally. Well, I very much enjoy it. <laughs> well, we, we all have blind spots in our taste, Jeremy. You know, people tell me that all the time. Mm. People suspect that I'm deliberately contrary, mm. to, uh, in my opinions, mm. and to give... Um, ammunition for, uh, or background material for the programme, but I genuinely think that Terminator Genesis stands proudly alongside the first two films as the platonic whole of the Terminator trilogy. Despite what the producer says, and despite what James Cameron says, and despite what Amelia Clark said about the production and the horrible time that Alan Taylor had on Terminator Genesis, you think that artistically... This is of a piece. It, is, it, it works very comfortably. Now, I will admit that there are some dangling threads because this was intended as being the first in the trilogy mm. and there was the intention of following those up in future films. But nevertheless, I mean, um, we're seeing now a trilogy as a sequel to the original John Carpenter's Halloween. We are. Um, and... Um, I don't think that was necessarily required by the uh, the, the revived Halloween, the, the, the new one from 2018, but I'm very excited to see what that would offer. So I think this, along similar lines, right. as a, uh, a revival of a 
great science fiction saga. Oh my god. I think Terminator Genesis is that a very fine tremendous. piece of work. Well, I'm going to try and dissuade you of that notion. You won't. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, I've watched this film now twice. Once was when it, around the time it came out, and then for this podcast. Right. And I must confess, this was a slog. And I think it's a slog for many different reasons. But I would, I, I'm edging towards saying that Terminator Salvation is a better film than Terminator Genesis. I will kill you. <laughs> Folks, this is going to be a fun ride. Because what I despise about this film is how, how uh, calculated and hollow its, its intentions are. It is a piece of pure IP rebranding, resurrection. It is, it's so dubious that the person who bought the Terminator rights, Megan Ellis, the daughter of... Um, Larry Ellison, Oracle, Oracle Guru Ellison. She uh, she bought the the rights and then palmed them off. She had cold feet. Palmed them off onto her um, brother, David Ellison, purveyor of notorious Drek, GI Joe. GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra. Yeah. Also an extremely enjoyable film. <sighs> he also produced the new Star Trek movies. He's worked on all sorts of things. Mm. He's also um, in the habit of bad mouthing this film. Have you read the uh, conversations he's been having with James Cameron? He says that he didn't. This film didn't hit the mark. Well, Therefore, he says that now. Yes. By the way, we will review what James Cameron has been saying about each successive film in these reboots. You could the say that right now that he says that each film is the true continuation of the series until the next one comes out. He does it all the time. Yeah, and he is expending capital and credibility by doing this. What do you think? We are in a period, by the way, listener, where. Um, we are about to be regaled with another instalment of the wonderful, gripping Terminator. This very franchise. weekend, in fact, if you're listening to the uh, this podcast on its first couple of days. What do you think? How do you think that film's going to do? Well, the predictions I've seen have been that it will, it will perform worse than Terminator Genesis. Which in would the be a US, shocker. In the US. And in China? Where Genesis... I ha Genesis was a big hit in yeah. China. I don't know. I don't imagine that it will do as well. But I think it'll still do... I, I assume it gets a release in China. Mm. I don't know that it will. Mm. Um, uh, I assume it'll do pretty well. Yeah, I think there'll be a bump because of the, the additional interest. There'll be a bump on opening weekend, but I think it'll tail off quite fast. Do you think this is going to be a, a better film than Genesis? No. No. You think this is the this is a, a goodie? Oh, yeah. This oh is the best God, one. listener, I'm mentally of, dialing of, for of the, you. Uber. Of the non-Cameron films, and I'm, to be honest, I'm not that hot on Terminator 2. Mm. It kind of mm. starts sli to slide for me when the, when the Terminator became a good guy. Mm. I liked him being this cold, merciless machine killer. And then when the whole subplot of Terminator 2 is that he's actually capable of being a father figure, mm. even Schwarzenegger's performance becomes too human. That scene at the end, which is you know, supposedly the only thing that men are allowed to cry at, where he really? says, I now know why you cry, but it's something I could never do. He says it was too much emotion. It would actually, I think, hit a lot harder 
if he said it coldly and emotionlessly, because that would be a machine acknowledging its limitations. You're a cold person, you know that, Jeremy. Oh no, that would that would be ev- it would be even more devastating. That this this machine that that could be a father figure for this child cannot be, because it cannot feel. Yes, I. I've got good memories of the first two Terminator films. I have a very bad memory of Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. And that's maybe because I was slightly refreshed when I went to see it. And during one of the the many rather good chase scenes, I got severe motion sickness. Oh, Um, well, that's not great. Yeah, it was camera shaky all over the place. Quite an audacious end, that film. The uh, The end is the best part of that film. Yes. That's um, Um, a lot of it is just a retread of Terminator 2. Well, yes. And a weirdly yeah. cheap-looking retread as well. And, and for a film that Trump... For a franchise that, that trumpets its feminist credentials, as we shall see with this film, actually it's got no problem turning women into objects and and digitally altering cleavage and things like that. I, I thought it was all right. I liked Claire Danes in Rise of the Machines. I, I tapped her as quite a big star at the time, and I thought, yes, yeah, she'll go places, and she has in Homeland, and... Things like that. Well, she was already quite a big name. Yeah, from Romeo and Juliet. Mm. Then Terminator Salvation came out and was savaged everywhere. I did see it. I thought it was terrible dreck. But then what do you expect when you hire McGee? McGook. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really wrong-headed film, and it's obviously got that famous issue with Kristen Bell going off on one on the, on the back lot. And then we, we come to Terminator Genesis. And then, every, and then the sun comes out... Um, the film starts with the classic Terminator theme. Well, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. What about the marketing of this film? Do you remember these two pictures? Widely derided. These are the two pictures, listeners, of um, uh, Amelia Clark and Matt Smith shouting very loudly. Matthew Smith, I think you'll find. Oh, is that who's credited in this film? Of course, we have a wonderful picture of the wonderfully charismatic Mr. Jay Courtney who, of course, reminds us all so much of the original Paul Reese in the uh, original Terminator film, the two being peas in pods, as charismatic as each other. And then, of course, there was the trailer, the trailer which gave away no spoilers, thank God. We certainly didn't want to know that anyone in particular was a bad guy. You're, blaming the, you're blaming the marketing department. No, I'm just I'm saying s- this is a setup for for what we were going in through the door. So... I remember, maybe our, our, our memories are different on this, that this was, was being laughed at prior to release. Um, because of a terrible marketing campaign. It was. And it has nothing to do with the quality of the film. The casting of Amelia Clark. I don't recall there being any controversy about that, to be honest. There, there was less about that because she was then I mean, the co only, only really because she doesn't look like Linda Hamilton. And the same thing with Jai Courtney. He doesn't look like Michael Bean. Well, you know tough. They're also not playing quite the same characters. Amelia Clark's playing a, a middle ground between young, waitressy, um, naive, innocent Sarah Connor and the battle-hardened version. But but I, I just remember that actually it was, oh, here we go again with the whole Terminator thing. Um, I think that's a big reason why people turned against it and why it didn't do well at the box office. People just thought, oh, it's a, just another turn, turn the handle, crank one out Terminator movie. And they've been burned by Terminator Salvation, which is just a complete mess and has no idea what it's doing. And here's something which is 
trying to actively honour what's gone before, go in some uh, a fresh direction, do something that's more interesting, use the law in a creative way, but the failure uh, artistically of Terminator 3 and of Terminator Salvation means that no one was open to it anymore. And the marketing campaign, which was so badly misjudged, as you, as you perfectly reasonably say, it just pushed everyone away. Mm. I've, I think so. Here's a shot of Lena Headey in the Sarah Connor Chronicles, in, in full Sarah Connor mode. Great series, of course. As I think oh, very and good, I, yes. And I both agree. Here's a very similar poster for Terminator Genesis with Amelia Clark. What do we notice? And suddenly Sarah Connor has got uh, an enormous bust and she seems to be about a foot shorter. And she is a foot she's shorter. played by someone from Game of Thrones, as is Lena Headey. And the director of this film is Alan Taylor, who directed Game of Thrones. Um, it's a big crossover here. Um, and indeed, with Matt Smith, there's the Maisie Williams connection. Maisie Williams not doing much to distinguish herself in. Doctor Who, I have to say. Yeah, but in episodes with Peter Capaldi, wasn't it? Uh, oh, God, yeah, you're right, of course. But still, a Game of Thrones crossover. What about the um, this film pulling the same stunts as Star Trek Into Darkness? Here's the front of Entertainment Weekly. Look who Matt Smith is billed as. Question mark, question mark, question mark. So they're, they're doing the whole uh, mystery box thing as to who's this character playing. And I had no idea who he was playing. But what I did know is that the guy they've cast as John Connor looks like a bad guy. But he's been... Uh, he was, he's in the Planet of the Apes films as a heroic character. He's been in numerous films as um, protagonists and heroic characters. The fact that he looks like a big burly bloke, I think is... A big burly bloke? Well, he's an Australian. <laughs> Jason Clark's Australian. The second he appears on screen in this film, you go, oh, he's a bad guy. It's like Moriarty appearing in Spectre. It would be a twist, twist of the week. He's the same in everything, though. He's not the same in Fleabag. He's playing a priest. I don't watch trash. Ooh. Yeah, I'm really swinging for the fences this actually, week. Actually, listener, I have to agree. Fleabag is not the be-all and end-all. I don't, I don't like it. Fleabag. I thought it was badly written and not no, funny. And the cult of Phoebe What's-Her-Face is another thing. Um, anyway, let's not go down that road. Oh, she's school. hosting Saturday Night Live soon. Oh, for fuck's sake, honestly. That's going to be hilarious for the wrong reason. Uh, yeah, that's another podcast for another time. So we're <laughs> going to alienate all you flea bag lovers. But let's—I'm not here to to totally trash this film because you and I have lived through Hudson Hawk, which I think was a bit more of a car crash. This, for me, is is just incredibly bland, and it makes millions of writing mistakes. The casting is terrible. The colour balancing in the film makes it almost unwatchable. Uh, certainly there are scenes in this film where I was, I was having to squint at the scene. It's attempting to, to build up. There are, there are certain lines in it which we'll talk about where it obviously is trying to go for a, a trilogy, as Cameron was saying at the time. So I didn't really go into it with a lot of goodwill, and the goodwill that I did have bled away uh, as, as proceedings um, went forward. Should we talk about the voiceover that begins proceedings? Okay. The 12-minute voiceover? 12-minute opening titles, which is an odd choice, of having the opening titles play over the first quarter of an hour of the movie. I'm not sh- I, I would agree that that's probably not a good decision, but the opening titles in The Fugitive run for nearly 20 minutes. 
So it's not as though it's a hallmark of a bad film. Terminator 2 starts and ends with a voiceover. Three million lives died at the end, of and then she ends with... with the first uh, film opens with uh, on-screen text and ends in... Mm. Um, but this goes on and on and on. The voiceover is ridiculous. It's, it's as though it's a, uh, a catch-up for people who haven't seen any of the previous two films. The, uh, the two writers of this film, can you remind me of their names? Yes. <laughs> uh, Patrick Lussier and later... Mm. I struggle with her last name. It, I believe it's, it sounds Greek. That's impressive that you can get that far. Have you checked out their credits on IMDb? Yes. Right? Patrick Lussier was the editor of the Doctor Who TV movie. But mainly their producers. Uh, well, I believe he started out as an editor. And she, I believe, was involved in writing both Avatar and Alita Battle Angel. A big James Cameron connection. Yes. But they're mainly producers. Apart from their writing credits. Apart from their few writing credits. I see. Mm. And I believe the writing in this film is... is it, it smacks to me of executives who've attended maybe a six-week writing course or have read the House of Writer novel book or the... Um, you know, the, the beats to hit. And I will point them out as we go through just how schematic the writing is. There's also multiple time jumps. There's also flashbacks. There's skipping forward in time, which isn't signalled. All of it makes it very difficult to follow, to the extent that, in the recent publicity for Dark Fate, Cameron has identified that as a problem. So you can expect Dark Fate to be a much more linear storyline with no diversions. So... Your complaint here is that it's too safe and schematic, but the next one's even going to be even more safe and schematic. I, I, I believe the next one will be simpler, more linear, clearer. Bland. Um, no, I don't think... Bla I don't think um, you could argue that Ma Mad Max is bland if you just think it's... Um, if, if linearity is blandness. But you're arguing that this is bad because it's bland, but the corrective is going to be making it even more bland. No, I mean the, the, the tone of this film, the, the, the ideas of the film and the choices. I, I think the, those are bland. I think that there's a virtue in, in a much simpler narrative. And this film doesn't have a simple narrative. It's got plot holes all over the place and the timeline's buggered by the end of it. But that does not make it interesting. That makes it poorly worked out. It's, it strikes me that this needs another draft, the whole script. You're looking at me as if you want to kill me. <laughs> I always look like that. Well, that's true. That's your resting face, isn't it? Resting murder face. Anyway, let's progress on, because I'm not here to trash your favourite Terminator film. Much. It's not my favourite Terminator film. What would that be? Young Terminator. The first one. Yeah, I would agree with you with that. Um, so there's an extermination camp with Terminators acting as guards. Um, a young boy is... Uh, found by a, a, a Terminator, but he's rescued by John Connor, and um, it's uh, he realizes who he is, and, so, oh, and there's mention of pro a prophecy that he'll be the one who crushes Skynet. And they're preparing suddenly for the. I say suddenly. There's a, there's a jump forward in time, as evidenced by Kyle Reese. We discover uh, going from being a young boy to a grown man. So that. Perfectly clear what's going on. Well, hang on a minute. We go. We, there are three uh, time zones here. There's the one where he starts off in, which is the time before the bombs drop, 
and uh, we've already seen that in, the pre- in Terminator 2. Then the little boy's running through the tunnel, and that's when he gets rescued by uh, John Connor, and then he's an adult. Um, right, so that's perfectly clear. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's before the nuclear bomb, after the nuclear bomb, yes. and but the boy being a child, the boy being an adult. That's okay. pretty clear. I think you're full of nonsense. Fair enough. Another question for you. On a scale of 1 to 10, how homoerotic is this film? <laughs> the thought hadn't even occurred. Wow. Because, boy, am I going to blow your mind. <laughs> because this what? is clearly a story about the, the, the love between Carl Reese and John Connor. Clearly. Oh, I see. I thought you were going to start showing me pictures of men with their bums out. Or well, something. the film will do that for you. Uh, when it comes to Arnie walking down corridors to be time travelled. Um, oh, there's loads. Oh, uh, in fairness, there are loads of men's bums in this yeah, film. Yeah, this because it's a bit straight out Tom of Finland. If you every um, bum is justified <laughs> <laughs> by context. I think the film is bum myself, but anyway. Yeah, we we get to see a lot of naked flesh. Um, well. But the relationship between uh, Kyle and John, I mean, John knows Kyle is his father. Yes. No, I'm, t- I'm saying that Kyle Reese is the one with the, the uh, thing for John Connor. Right. Um, and a lot of the lines are unintentionally homoerotic. Let me read you a couple. You are my right hand, Reese. I have never thanked you for it. When they're in the tunnel, note tunnel, at the, and they have the, the, the two shot, the discussion between them, it goes from, we need to get to the time machine to change the course of history, to, um, so what are you going to do after this? And he says, uh, I'm going to find my parents' house. And Kari says, uh, I'm going to use my hands for something other than killing. And you go, oh, yeah. And, um, and we progress on, and, and it's only really until uh, he realises that there's someone else more important than him in John Connor's life, where he suddenly decides to go on a time-travelling expedition. Hasn't Kyle been in love with Sarah from her photograph? Not in this film. He was in the uh, in the first film, but no, not in this film. And this film, by the way, he, there's a horribly photoshopped um, Amelia Clark. Into That's the, not great, no. no but not. you know, it's as good as they could manage. So there's also a scene just prior to the time travel scene. The, sorry, the thing you're pointing at is the the photograph from the end of the first film. Yes. Because you're showing me a picture and I'm saying, yes, that's bad. And the listener has no idea what I'm oh, talking sorry, about. Oh, sorry, listener. Sorry. We're, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the replaced photograph with Amelia Clark instead of Linda Hamilton. It doesn't look good. But, no, uh, you know. What can how, you do? How good is it ever going to look? When Kyle is told, you, uh, you can't be wearing clothes when you go time travelling, mm-hmm. who undresses him? Doesn't he undress himself? It's John Connor. So they're, and they're in each other's little personal... Watch this. It is an absolute... I think it's unintentional, but there's an awful lot of... of and then, of course, this is intercut with John Connor uh, giving a speech about rising up. I mean, um, I rest my case. Sometimes a bum is just a bum. No, no. <laughs> Everything on the screen is intentional. Now, it, I don't know whether Alan Taylor's <laughs> trying to... Um, I agree that everything on the screen is, is intentional. But he's come up with an unintentionally homoerotic film. <laughs> the, the, the bum is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> <laughs> Emilia Clarke is in this film is not a sex object. He constantly fights against getting into a relationship with her. 
And it's only when he realises that John Connor is actually evil and uh, is dead that he decides to shack up with, with her at the end of the film. I do think, watch the film again, and there's just some... There is a subtext to this. There is what a reading to it which you hadn't expected. You're the one who thought that Dunkirk was a, a proto-fascist tract. Based, not, based not on nothing. the events, I should point out. No, the film. <laughs> well, it, well, it was fascist film. That's one not side. what I said. I said Dunkirk was a really badly, a uh, uh, badly timed film. That it came out. That's at nothing the time. to do with the film, though. No, but I did think that people like Farage would really lo- and Boris Johnson would absolutely love that film. Yeah, well, they ha- but Johnson was far more interested in Darkest Hour. I guarantee it because oh. that's a film about how Churchill. Is a mm-hmm. you know great big historical wank fantasy, and, it's and I hate yeah I hated it. It's a horrible film. Mm. Dunkirk is much more Dunkirk's proficient, complex made. and interesting and intelligent. Yeah, poor. Uh, it's 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 uh, as as the timing of the film. I'm sure it would turn out to be a masterpiece. Like, yes, yes, maybe the timing was bad, but you you know it's nothing to do with the actual film. The the publicity campaign for Terminator Genesis was quite badly misjudged, and the trailers mm-hmm. gave away the huge twist halfway through. It's not a problem with the film. The trailer for Drive made it look like it was the Fast and the Furious and someone sued and won. Well, no, I, I agree with you. I think um, the recent film with Natalie Portman where she plays the pop star... Oh, Fox op- Lux. Yes, opens with a school shooting. Um, the trailer or the film? The film. Oh. The film. And I thought that was incredibly... It's not the fault of the film, but a terrible time for that sort of thing to come out. It... There's never not a bad time for that, it seems. No. Um, but it's, it depends on context. We're also, t- we're also about to get uh, Joker at the cinemas. And yes. I've heard one or two people saying that film is going to spark events. There's a Robbie Collins review where he says, I'm really worried about this film, that actually it's going to trigger young, disaffected males. He says this in the Telegraph. I mean, in the Telegraph. In the Telegraph, though. Yeah. I mean, I I have great respect for Robbie Collins as a critic, but I really wish he wouldn't write for the Telegraph yes. because it's fucking toilet. Mm. Um, I think that he possibly overestimates its impact. Mm. A Clockwork Orange didn't do that. No. Fight Club didn't. Even Fight the Club Cubic did. feared it. Fight. He did. He got and death he, threats. He got threats. That was. I mean, that was an isolated incident. It was one isolated incident too many, and he did the right thing to withdraw the film. Uh, in deference to his own family's safety. Mm. Um, but Fight Club didn't spark anything like that, and it took a long time mm. for, for that to have any impact at all. Mm. Um, You're quite right. Fight Club seemed really quite radical and scary when it was on at the cinemas, but, particularly the ending. But Fight Club is ultimately about how What's that, that, that's a, a substitute for actual emotional maturity, mm-hmm. that they're in this ludicrous little club turning into these idiotic self-styled freedom fighters whereas they're really just moronic pranksters you know, you are talking about fight club not cinema limbo just to check i'm talking about you <laughs> i'm a club of one a moronic prankster that's my tombstone anyway <laughs> how did we get on to uh, get on to this oh it's my theory that this is a homoerotic tract yeah it also lifts shots from call of duty the game? Yep, there it is. There's the screenshot. Right there. Let's have a look. So the whole running around with the guns and the, the camp, oh, that's that lit- literally straight from a, a Call of Duty. That's a very generic type of shot. Generic, thank you. 
But that's uh, it could be from anything though. I mean, that's not a criticism. I mean, I'm saying it's not lifted from something that you say it's from. It's a shot in a film. Yeah, it's not every shot has to look amazing. You mean it's it's standard vocabulary for a film of this nature? It's traditional vocabulary. Yeah, there's there's it's, everything has the same ancestry. Okay, I'll buy that. Um, when the producer's name comes up, something amusing happens on screen at the same time. Is, <laughs> it, a man, is it a man's bum? You seem to be offended about my analysis of Terminator. I Genesis think it's completely it. absurd. <laughs> Watch it again. I'm going to send you more screenshots of the... Uh, in fact, I'll probably... Oh, yeah. Go. Please send me more pictures yeah, of men's arses. Men's bu- be weird. When the producer's name comes up, we get a, a tracking shot over a city of that building. Um, I certainly, by the 12 minutes 42, by the time the director's credit appeared on the screen, and we'd gone from three time zones to two time travellers to talk of some woman that needs to be saving. If I was a newbie to this franchise... Why would you be... If I was a general public, let's go and see this new film, because apparently it's a reboot and, and it kind of got stuck in a, it. It's not a reboot, though. So do you think everyone seeing this was just a fan? I think that the people who saw this would have some awareness that this is a... Of Griffith's Observatory, of a location from a film shot in the early 80s. What's your complaint? I think that this is not a film for a general audience. Why? Because it assumes prior knowledge of a film. To get any juice out of the scene where um, Arnie fights his younger self at the bridge and they've recast the punks to make them look like Bill Paxton and Co. Bad. Not a bridge. Or wherever wherever that scene was set. There's a context that you gain from it by knowledge of the first film. If not, it's just a location, surely. Okay. And the whole stuff about the, the director is directly quoting scenes from the first two films and lines and sometimes he recontextualizes them other times he doesn't but for you to enjoy any of that any of those easter eggs you've got to be a fan you're suggesting that the original two films are in some way not massive cultural touchstones i that everyone who goes to the <laughs> cinema to see major releases doesn't at least have some familiarity with the Terminator and Terminator 2. Well, there, uh, there I think we differ. I think that actually you're overestimating the, the, the relevance of those first two films. They aren't Star Wars. They Terminator. are at least as well-known within popular culture as Star Wars. So if it was, a, if it was a, you're on Pointless, and one of the questions was, who played the T-1000 in Terminator 2 Judgment Day? Do you think that would be an instant... What, the people or me? Not you. The contest- you just general contestants. General contestants. They go, what's a T-1000? The g- a general audience cannot be assumed to go, oh, I, I recognise this bit, and they're quoting a previous film. But it's a sequel. Why would... I don't understand the argument of it's a sequel, so we have to say everything again, and then you criticise the film for having a lengthy opening sequence that explains everything for people who haven't seen it before. I thought that opening sequence was a problem because it's just an info dump and it's not a particularly exciting one. So, um, and we'd seen it before in Terminator 2. So should there or should there not have been an info dump for general audiences? Because you seem to be arguing both ways. I think that nostalgia is a variable. You cannot, you cannot assume a, ge- a general audience will get all the references. And this is a reference-heavy film. But, as you say, for the people who know 
It's the same location. It's, it's still Griffith Park Observatory. But I bet and you for the people who don't remember that specifically, they'll think it's just another building. So what's the problem? But let's see what happens in Dark Face, and I bet you anything they dial down on the law, it'll just be crazy killing machine coming after. Exactly, because or they want to get as many people watching the film as possible, and they will compromise the film as much as they need to in order to do so. Whereas with this film, they were actually being faithful to the law and the history of the first two films, um, paying lip service perhaps to the third and fourth, just a, you know, maybe just acknowledging that they exist mm-hmm. because they do feel fit together. Uh, and the new one will just be bland. It you will just think be, it'll be a chase movie with the Terminator branding on it. I think they'll probably go back to first principles. I think mm-hmm. it'll probably be very much like. Uh, more like the first one than any of the others mm, because the, it's, the first one is very lean and fast because it wasn't intended to be anything more than that uh, and it'll throw in elements of Terminator 2 uh, we know that there is a good Terminator working alongside the heroes um, and it won't do anything new or original it won't do anything daring the way that Genesis does Okay, I'll, uh, I'll, I agree with you. I think, though, that is an implicit criticism of Genesis, that they're going in that direction. They're going, economically, it didn't make enough money for us to lean hard into the law, so therefore we're going to dial back on it. Because this film made less than any of the other films. Adjusted for inflation, uh, I think it just overtook the first film. Well, that's a success. But, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I won't deny that it didn't make enough money. Hmm. So something wasn't but again, I, I'm not going to say that it's because of the quality of the film or the content of the film. I think the advertising campaign and general fatigue with the franchise are to blame. Fascinating. It's and the advertising campaign wound up generating very bad word of mouth that drove people away. You and I generally tend to agree on our... Uh, we have quite similar movie tastes, but then we come into a little black spot like this. I do think it's the quality of the film. I think, and then it was word of mouth after the first weekend. And I think that it was a problem that it lent, uh, that the, the timeline's too convoluted, the narrative is unclear, the casting's wrong. But other opinions are available, as always. Are you dialing the police? <laughs> yes. I'm just checking to see what the box office performance of it was like. I mean, obviously uh, we know it didn't do well. But uh, what kind of drop-off it had from one week to the next... It's not helped by the fact that it was released on July 4th weekend. Oh, So right. the numbers are going to be sort of oddly skewed because of that. Yeah. But if we compare it with, say, films that came out the previous year and the following year at the same weekend... Whilst you Google a box office, I'd like to observe on the advisability of a film called Dark Fate after coming out sort of uh, um, X-Men Dark Phoenix, another film that lent hard into its lore. But was entirely boring and uninteresting. It had nothing interesting or original to do. It was rehashing something that we've already seen on film from the same writer and with more boring actors. <laughs> That's what I would say about Genesis. I've seen well, this you'd, scene before you'd be, you'd and be, it's got more boring actors in it. <laughs> uh, Genesis dropped 48% from one week to the next. That's not much. Half its audience. That's not... That's, okay, that's yeah. normal for it's a about 70% drop, isn't it, normally? for um, 70% is a lot. Over 50 mm. is normal. But that's the um, 4th of July. So if we... July 4th weekend, the following year, was number one was Transformers Age of Extinction. That's depressing. But that was in its second week. 
Um, when they were all doomed. And it dropped 63%. Actually, that did do quite poorly. And the following week, it dropped 56%. Coming out the same weekend as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, no, right. which starred Jason Clarke in a heroic lead role. Um, and the year after... And it was a good movie. And it is a good movie. And the year after, The Secret Life of Pets. Finding Dory came out the weekend before July 4th. That dropped over 50%. So actually, Terminator Genesis held much better. Oh. So it had, I would argue, <laughs> good word of mouth, comparatively. It opened weekly, as in W-E-A-K, um, because of the bad publicity it had, because of the weak publicity campaign. But it held its audience much more strongly than um, might have been expected. And you think that stands the quality of the film? Yes. I think that helps. Excellent. Then I, I respect that opinion. The numbers prove me right. It's We're post-truth. That's the world we live in. <laughs> it's not post-truth if I can cite actual numbers. Okay. Actual I, I feel like I'm a madman screaming in the wilderness. <laughs> So the, uh, there's, there's a big battle. Remember we were talking about what happened in the battle film? that narrows it down. Um, and the core of Skynet is destroyed and it all shuts down. Oh, God, yes. And the Terminator arrives in 1984, as we saw in the first film. And John Connor... What do you make of the CGI on Arnie in this film? The young... The, the euthening. Mm -hmm. think... well, it's more than euthening. It's a full CGI rebuild of his younger self. Oh yes, so it is because when he's working, working around with his no shirt on and his bum out, and he's yes, in a, um, and obviously not homoerotic film. No, um, well, he's not dressing up in leathers quite so much in this one, is he? No, although we do get a, um, uh, a, a we get a scene uh, with cops and uh, I'm glad you said cops. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the CGI on the um, the nineteen eighties version of Arnie is almost there. But it still is Uncanny Valley. And I swear there's one shot they've lifted out of the original film. It's the one where he's looking left to right. Yes, I believe so. mm. What I think they've done is it looks like they've tried to uh, put a filter on that. Take the, take the shot from the original film. What I suspect is they didn't have the rights to use footage from the first film. Oh, really? So ah. so, because it's ev almost every film has been made by a different studio. So they would have had to rebuild it from scratch. So it looks... Uh, it's sort of doubly uncanny valley because yes. it looks like Arnie, but not quite. It looks like the shot, but not quite. He's doubled in other shots, particularly when we go back again in time to young Sarah Connor. And the only other time you see the CGI Arnie is in a very fleeting shot where he's reanimated by the T1000 and he bursts out of the cellophane and then he gets immediately scorched down to his metal fr uh, frame. Proof of concept for all this is done in Terminator Salvation right at the end. Do you remember the scene where it's... Yes, it doesn't... It didn't really work. And it was, oh, look what they've done. Yes, it kind yeah. of overwhelms any kind of dramatic impact in the scene. Mm. Not that there was any anyway, because that film was dreadful. Do you think it was in Arnold's contract that, A, he must be referred to as being over six foot in height, and, B, he must be seen to actually beat his younger self in battle? Well... <laughs> Regarding your first point, yes, I see your the point. The height issue um, is, a big, is an ongoing mystery. Yes, the fact that I'm taller than Arnold Schwarzenegger is quite entertaining. Um, there is an interesting track record in his career of doubles. Total Recall, The Sixth Day, yeah. having double personalities or double selves. Oh, I see what you mean. Right. And ever since he made his comeback to acting, 
after after his political career, there has been a, a sense of reflection on the past in his films, mm. of um, melancholy at ageing. So having scenes where he's fighting against his younger self definitely seems to be tallying with that. There was a very good article I read on uh, Screen Crush about that the other day by Matt Singer, and um, it was quite well thought out about how there is this undercurrent of... With Arnie specifically, or yeah. with the 80s... Um, no, with, with him specifically, with, his, with his, uh, his return to acting, because he's, he, there has been that big jump in age, and that there is that melancholy that he is not the, the powerhouse that he once was. And there is a, there's a uh, line repeated three times in this film, which they're clearly trying to get as, um, as the meme for new, new Arnie, which is old but not obsolete. He, there's a particular shot where he, he has clearly allowed himself to look old. I've taken a screenshot of it. Because um, he's in his 70s now. He's, yeah, he's um, about 70. And, and all those years of bodybuilding, uh, he still works out. Mm. Um, he's, and by the way, I have no particular animus towards Arnold Schwarzenegger. Maybe he should keep his house, hands off his um, uh, housemates and certain other young ladies. But his is a, an extraordinary life. And... I wish he'd make another Conan film. But I, I haven't seen Maggie. I'd quite like to see that. Maggie is extremely good. The thing with Schwarzenegger is I, I sneakily suspect he's got a really good first-rate character performance in him. Uh, there is. It's in Maggie. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. I must track that down then. Because Stallone is, is doing his Stallone stuff and doing all his pulp nonsense and being the one-man film industry and all of that. Bruce Willis has checked out the hotel. And Arnie, I think, needs to stop doing this, Dross. He's, you know, just... He should segue into elder statesman character actor. And I'd like to see that. And it's edging towards this in Genesis. There are some moments where, you know, he does he can do pathos quite well. Mm. Um, he has that sort of touch of Clint Eastwood of putting a little effort in, not mm. not letting the, the turmoil under the surface show too much. Because in the trailer for Dark Fate which I have partaken of, he's got a tiny moment where Sarah Connor, Linda Hamilton, says to him, you know I'm going to kill you at the end of this. And the reaction he gives is tiny, it's microscopic, where he's just going, yeah, I know that. And it's very well played. He's playing his age. So I, that's what I'd like to see from him. Um, you know, of course, of Clive James's famous description of Arnold Schwarzenegger? Um, he <laughs> looks like a bag of walnuts. Condom full of walnuts. Good old Clive James. And now on, he's done his political stuff and he's trying to reassert his film career. He's still active politically. I think that's mm. it's more likely to be a, a legacy of his. He must look at Trump and be kicking himself just for a twist of fate, a twist of the fact that he, he's not a, a US... He's not eligible. Yeah. He absolutely would have got that far. And frankly, I think he would have been doing a better job than bloody Trump. It's arguable, isn't it? Mm. Although he has been open in how much he actually loathes Donald Trump, so... Then even more. He did take over as host of The Apprentice, of course. <laughs> really? Yeah. I can't see Arnie doing any worse a job than Trump. Um, Arnie is a huge god in in bodybuilding circles. People revere him in that because he's got an extraordinary history in that. Mm. So no, I have no animus um, towards him particularly at all. But I did think that actually it's probably contractual that he went, yeah, if I'm going to do the fight scene, make sure I flip and win. 
Well, he's um, not going to lose, is he? No. It's interesting, For though. For plot reasons, he's not going to lose. But if he loses, he gets killed. But he does lose in the fight scene between himself and his younger self. It is Sarah Connor, because of course we know the person who's behind the rifle is Sarah Connor. It's the one that shoots his younger self, and he puts the thumbs-up signal. So he is seen to um, prevail, it's like Rocky, for God's sake, in a, uh, a fight with his younger self. But um, he accepts the reality of it, and he lets the young lady uh, do the, um, the meat and drink to clean him off. See, that's much more interesting. Yeah, I, I, he's, he's acknowledging the ageing. He doesn't lose, but he doesn't win. He's overwhelmed and has to rely on the assistance of others. I wish that the, the, I, my faith in the writers of this project is nil. Unfortunately, they're, they're not the people for the job. And what I believe, in, in what I suspect, is that this is how the thought process went. We have got the CGI to do Young Arnie, and we've got Arnold on board for the film. We've got to have a scene where they fight. We've got to have a scene where they fight. But of then course. they go, but where do we go from there? And how do we, we get there? And then they go, actually, why don't we have that thing from writing class that our professor talked about? It's called The Third Person in the Room. So, in fact, we have shots of someone running towards the scene, starting up a rifle, and bingo, there's your resolution. And it's even a bonus that in the age of Me Too, it happens to be our female Sarah Connor. So that's the way I thought the thought process went. Not actually Arnie saying it would be a really good idea if I'm seen to prevail and then we have um, Amelia take the final shot. So your problem is that it follows screenwriting convention? Yes, nakedly. But... Perhaps the hope would be that the audience is too engaged in what's going on on screen. I wasn't. <laughs> well, I was thinking, uh, you're, you're, you guys are worried about how you're going to get out of the scene, aren't you? So the, the classic trick is third person in the room. So that's what I thought. So am I nitpicking? But it introduces the fact that there's someone else working with the Terminator. So, and which, so it's actually a, a plot-relevant element, which oh, of course. Is, is paid off almost immediately. And so indeed there's a second plot element. That's... That's good writing. There's a I second thing they need to chip out of the guy's head because he's going to that powers the lashed up um, time machine. The TDE, yeah. Uh, no, that was the first scene that struck me as, uh, yeah, you guys are doing the whole nostalgia thing and uh, and bog standard writing course stuff. But six of one, half a dozen of the other. I did write that uh, here. It's set at GPO, and I thought they weren't at the general post office. It took me a moment to realise I'd written. Like Griffith, Griffith Park Observatory. But the thumbs up is a little callback to uh, the end of Terminator 2. The thumbs up, of course, yes. Um, and I, I do note a couple of films that do similar things to Genesis in terms of revisiting events from previous films and from different perspectives. Back to the Future 2 and Avengers Endgame. So what does this film do wrong that they do right? Um, humour is probably the thing that, that leaps out. They're enjoyable. I can see what's going on on screen. In terms of um, the time travel mechanics, though, mm. regardless of you know, you know the actual mechanics within the story, I think that one thing I wrote down about this film was uh, who's the protagonist and what's, what's their key problem? What are they trying to overcome here? And I didn't know whether the real protagonist was Sarah Connor or whether it was going to be uh, Carl Reese or or whether we meant to be rooting for the Terminator. I was, frankly, rooting for John Connor. I think, what, why this bunch of clowns out? Why can't all three be a joint protagonist? Clarity. I think the audience want a hero to root for, and we've got three people operating as a team. But then, as you mentioned, Avengers Endgame, you, of course, have a team. But in that team, it's mainly led by Captain America, particularly in the final battle where he is the, the, the guy at the front. And we all know what he's just the good guy and 
he's got clear objectives. The objective in this film is what? To prevent the launch of Skynet. No, it's not. It's to prevent the birth of Skynet. That is literally what I just said. No, the launch of Skynet. You're talking about the launching of the missiles. No. Okay, my bad. The objective is abstract. It's too abstract. The protagonists are people we don't relate to. We either relate to a human cyborg, or we relate to bratty Amelia Clark, or it's this meat-knuckled idiot. I don't like the use of the word bratty. You don't think she isn't? Where she's going, bite me? When she's got her headphones on and listening to the, the rock music, she's, she's playing preppy. She's playing... Um, she's kicking back against her, inverted commas, <laughs> dad. And that then pays off later when he says that to a motorist. In, indeed. So we, get a, so we get a little twist on that. Uh, it's such great, great writing. <laughs> there is no, you're, you're having a go at the film for it not being Lawrence of Arabia. But the, the throwback, the dialogue throwback's done in Terminator 2. So all they've done is they've watched the first two films and they've gone, let's just do a remix of this. She is bratty in this film, you have to concede. This is the teenage stroppy version of Sarah Connor. What's wrong with that? I'm not saying there's anything wrong She's with it. She's been raised to be like this. She hasn't had a proper childhood. Because Fire, fine, but you so must concede that's her character. Bratty sounds a bit too... When she's saying, I'm not comfortable with that word. When she's she saying, this kind um, of woman. It, uh, you must so not use that word, mate. She, she's definitely playing it as if she's about 17. Well, isn't Sarah Connor supposed to be about 19 or 20? I think in the original film, yeah, she must be about so, that for uh, yeah, for, uh, for 1984. That's yeah. I believe how old she's supposed to be. And you could work it out because they do mention the dates. Although God knows that's a rabbit hole. I really don't want to go down. But her performance is alienating. She's difficult to root for, and it's it's an odd thing. And I think it is the writing. I think she's miscast as well. I'm afraid. Um, Amelia Clark is widely known outside of Game of Thrones for being a very fun, smiley goofball none of which we see in this film. In the film that she's coming out this year in, at Christmas, called Last Christmas... Which looks like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> it does, actually. She's playing some sort of rich kid in that, but she's definitely playing up the more... Although it's an Emma Thompson gig, by the way, so it can't be total, total mess. Oh, no, that's a guarantee of quality, isn't it? Oscar-winning Oscar, Oscar winning writer of Sense and Sensibility. So? Well, I think that she's miscast in this film. She's meant to be the... Um, sort of halfway house between uh, innocent Sarah Connor your face <laughs> I'm just disgusted with everything you say this is this is incredible I feel like I'm championing the uh, the general consensus of this film and trying to convince the lunatic it should be locked up I can't believe the feeling this mutual. film is, this this I can't believe that you are um, militantly on board with this film it's very amusing to see I, I did not expect this to be the hill that I would die on. Wow. I thought, I thought that was going to be the saint. Uh, what, the film? Well, that's another, another story. Why don't we plough on and see what you other fun words and ways... Saint. I know yeah, you love the saint. Yeah. Um, when I say that I couldn't see anything on the screen, it doesn't help that most of the opening is at night and um, the predominant colours are blue. Here are some more wonderful screenshots from the film at that stage, which are so wonderfully visible and here are some more and here are some more and I could barely bloody see a thing I did not have that problem no maybe I should turn out the brightness on my uh, my computer Probably. screen yeah um, maybe you shouldn't watch it on a computer screen let's talk about the casting of Jay Courtney
I admit that casting someone who is maybe a bigger name might have been a good idea. Right. But you don't want anyone who's over, going to overshadow Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator brand itself. Fine. Given that the character in the first film is established as being semi-feral... Yes. I appreciate that there is a disconnect with how he's portrayed in this film. Yeah. Well, that's the end of the sentence. Excellent. Well, I, I, I think we are... I, want, I would go much further, obviously. I would say he is of the same school of acting as Sam Worthington, who appeared in Terminator Salvation. They are... Um, blandness in in uh, I didn't I, I wouldn't say he's bland in this film. Oh, I I would, yeah, I definitely would. Just the same as Sam Worthington is horribly bland, and it makes me as more fuel to my theory that these guys are cast a because they are um, company men to the last. They're not going to go in and rock the boat. They're going to be really up about the project, and they're going to be just very bland. They're not going to ruffle any feathers whatsoever. But they are also easy to render in a computer for your digital double. Oh, right. So you think they were cast because they have nondescript faces? Well, they do. And I wonder why someone with such a featureless, characterless face is in a role which was famously, as you say, uh, had a, a, an actor in it who looked like he was starving and was running through that department store really as if his life depended on it. And when he gives the great speech to Sarah Connor about it absolutely will not stop, you believe it. He sells the remorselessness of that machine. Nothing of that comes from Jake Courtney. If you want me to argue that he's a better actor than Michael Bean, I'm not going to. I'm very glad to hear that. I'm not going to fall into these traps of yours. These swirling vortexes that I have set up that lie in wait for you. Good. So we can agree on that, that Jay Courtney is just... Jay Courtney is not as good an actor as Michael Bean. Thank you. Amelia Clark compared to Linda Hamilton. The difference there is that you can argue they're playing very different versions of the same character. You can't make that claim with Kyle because up until Sarah drives that truck through the wall, they are the same person. But... Um, Clark Connor and Hamilton Connor mm. have had a completely different life from the age of seven, eight or so. Yes, I think it's nine that's when, when or the, nine. the big yeah. um, boat accident happens. Um, so appearances aside, I think that any differences in performance are you know, perfectly reasonable. She doesn't look much like, Sarah, like uh, Linda Hamilton, but to be honest, I really don't think that's an issue. It's a matter of performance rather than anything else. Do you know the two other actresses who were um, looked at for the role? Um, a name springs to mind. It's just out of reach. Liz Smith? No, not Liz Smith. Peggy Mount? Perhaps. Okay, tell me who that. Oh, Scarlett Johansson was one, wasn't it? No. Oh, good. No. Brie Olsen. Hmm. And Tatiana Maslany from Orphan oh, yes. Black. So I was uh, mentally recasting this film. Imagine when that car, when the truck, by the way, they've been lying in wait for this, uh, for him to appear for ages, for at least 10 years, and they're late to this uh, um, 
this particular arrangement. Um, imagine if that truck door had opened and Numi Rapace was sitting there and she went. Yeah, but you say that about everything. Yeah, I do say that about everything. I, I've got a bit of a passion for Numi. Also, she, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know to say this, but she would have been too old. She's, yeah, a, she's okay. supposed to be playing a character who's 18, 19, Yeah, 20. true. But actually, if you've seen her in that film where she, uh, I think it's called Thursday or something like that, where she plays about 10 different What happened to Monday? Thank you. And, and indeed, Tatiana Maslany in Orphan Black. Extraordinary role. She absolutely could have done this role. Oh, I, yeah, I've no doubt that she's an excellent yeah. actor. So I think Amelia Clark was there for bankability and is miscast as Sarah Connor. And that's a jarring thing for me as a viewer all the way through. I just don't believe in her as the future saviour of the, the planet Earth. And it doesn't help when she's um, coming out with lines like, you know, we need to time travel and you can't wear your clothes and all this nonsense. But he can't. Well, I mean... The robots invented the ti- the naked time travel machine. Those perverts. Yeah, I mean they don't understand clothes. <laughs> Those, that's the sort of James um, Cameron invented that. Uh, well, let's talk about James Cameron and his purloining of uh, the Terminator idea but, from Harlan Ellison. The, the, the naked time travel machine. I don't yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Was that was that pinched from Harlan Ellison? No, no, it wasn't. No. It's weird because I, I heard that Harlan was quite the pervert. Harlan was a litigious little chap, a very puckish writer. I've got a lot of time for Harlan Ellison. But, um, and he fought tooth and nail against Cameron, Cameron for pinching his uh, idea oh, yeah. to limit. Oh, yeah, quite reasonably so, I'd, yeah. I'd say. I mean, um, Cameron remixed those ideas. They weren't his to remix, but he remixed them in a way that was interesting, in the same way that Genesis remixes ideas from uh, the two Cameron films. And Star Wars remixes from... Itself constantly, yes, and the set one uh, does the same thing. I mean, this is the this is the Force Awakens of yes, I would definitely films. agree with that. Um, and, and it's better than Force Awakens. Boom! <laughs> Force Awakens is not that great a film. It's quite good, I, but uh, it's it's very much tells a clearer story. It's than this very film. middle of the road. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, it's it's uh, an exercise in franchise realignment. Mm. Of uh, it's GlaxoSmithKline saying, "How can we sell toothpaste again?" It's a corporate uh, relaunch. Yes, abso- absolutely. This doesn't feel like that at all. Really? It? No. I definitely got it's it's an IP resurrection or it's written all over it. And it was. But, but well, just because it was intended as that doesn't mean that you feel the tentacles of the corporation in every creative decision. Even in the setting up of future movies? Because they're clearly going for we want a trilogy out of this. Well, I, they did the same with the Halloween movie, and you know how much money was behind that. Yeah, I, 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 one of my the reason why I mainly despise this film is I definitely think it's got a hollow corporate. You know, of course, of Anna Perna, the um, Megan Ellison's company. Yeah, so um, they're in big trouble at the moment. Um, because, Financially, yes, I've um, heard that yeah. because they've unfortunately had a lot of, of um, duds and. This was bought in an attempt to find a franchise to prop them up, and then she lost the nerve and gave it to David Ellison, her brother. But it was absolutely built just as a, there's a franchise, let's pay for it. And well, it was assumed that it would be a huge success, because Terminator movies had a track record of being successful. But then they go, um, so Cameron, we need to get Cameron on board, so let's take him to dinner. Who are we going to get to direct this? We're going to get, frankly, a guy who just goes from TV show to TV show and fits into the status quo, 
and and basically just ventriloquizes that. So that would so be great for this film. Capable, safe pair of hands, yes. Then, who do we get to cast? Why don't we go to Comic-Con? And I bet you anything the three leads in this film were at Comic-Con at the same year. Matt Smith on the Doctor Who... Matt Smith is not any kind of lead in this movie. No, well... Um, but as for who do we get to play Skynet, let's get that character actor who's in Doctor Who. Who played Skynet in Terminator Salvation? Um, was it Helena Bonham Carter? Yeah. Oh, God. It's it's a small cameo role. But that's, they assume that's that Matt Smith it. would be much a bigger name than they expected. And they guessed wrong, but is he bad in the film? No, he's actually good. Well, he's hilarious if you've watched Doctor Who. Because you and I know Matt Smith's a great actor. And, and he's a great big goofball here playing a villain. Yes. So, I mean, your argument about having goofy people playing non-goofy characters. I mean, have you ever seen Ryan Gosling on Saturday Night Live? He cannot stop laughing his head off at everything. He's yeah. an absolute nightmare. He's a giggle factory. And yet you watch Drive, and he's the reincarnation of Steve McQueen. Yes, I quite... I mean, there's a horrible violent scene in Drive, which... Um, oh, yeah, but it's... But it's the, the disconnect there between the, 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 his, his screen image and actually what he appears to be really like couldn't be greater. So let's be clear about this. You don't have a problem with the the casting I don't have a problem with the casting of Amelia Clark. I think the casting of Jai Courtney is imperfect but not unsalvageable okay and for a general audience Matt Smith wouldn't really have been widely known but um, yeah it's like you know little known character part I mean who had heard of Alan Rickman before Die Hard but for a British audience it's the same same effect as casting Andrew Scott and having him walk into the room um, when there's obviously a mole in um, in MI5 and Bond, but you everybody know, goes. But you know, straight from the start, that there's something wrong with Matt Smith's character because he grabs John Connor in the face and starts injecting him with nanites. And you don't think there's a problem with the casting of John Connor? No. Okay. I think the second anyone looks at him, they go, "That's the bad guy." But we have a bad guy introduced very early on because there's a T1000 in that department store that John Connor's running around in. That's not John Connor. That's Kyle Reese. Kyle Reese, sorry, then that, that my mistake. Um, and um, and he's disguised himself as a mirror, <laughs> pretty inevitably. But then again, I mean, they never actually, I mean, it's the one thing that he didn't do in, yeah. the, in the previous one. I thought, oh yeah. But then in, uh, I'm right in thinking in the Sarah, uh, that's Sarah Jane Chronicles. Sarah Jane Chronicles. Oh yes, yeah, that's gone. I love that show. Um, in the Sarah Chronicles. I love the one where they uh, there was a Slovene and they blew its head off with a shotgun. I seem to have missed that one. I must get it on DVD. Um, yeah, in that show, I believe um, the T-1000 hides as a urinal, which proves to be a bit of a shock for there's the... A, there's a lot of that show that's, in retrospect, quite weird. Actually, I must give it a, a go. It was, it was really good, and it was a great shame it was cancelled when yeah. it was, because they wrote themselves into a really interesting corner. Yeah, and I really liked the um, the actress in that. Um, Shirley Manson. Yes, Shirley Manson. And as you say, I think you're right. She was giving a bit of an odd performance. She's not a trained actress, but I really liked what she was doing in that. She was giving the right kind of performance for what the character needed. Mm. And if you look at the video for um, The World Is Not Enough... Yes, Making a Robot. Yes. But I think that was quite heavily influenced by the Buick video of a very similar type. Oh, yes, OK. Interesting. Anyway, we'd better pile through this, otherwise we're going to be here until um, Judgment Day. Where are we in, in these proceedings? Have we uh, been attacked by the T-1000 yet? They... Um, Oh, uh, Kyle takes the gun from the cop, and um, oh yeah, there's a 
uh, trying to escape from the store and steal clothes, they have the little detail of him fastening his, the Velcro on his shoe, yes. which I liked. The, shot, the, re, the reshoots of him reaching up and taking the jacket and yeah. of trying the shoes and the tramp that says, that guy took my pants. This is all a straight lift from the... Uh, well, yeah, because it's, it's replaying the these events thing, that we've yes. seen before, yes. so I have no problem with that at all. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's reasonable to object to that. I mean, it would have been great if they could reuse the actual footage, but um, I would for whatever reason, they couldn't. To materialise in a, uh, a timeline in which dinosaurs rule the Earth. I'd have quite liked to have seen that. Well, I'd like to see the Terminators travel back in time to the Regency era and ride around on horses, but we can't all get what we and want, And there's indeed we? a science fiction novel that does something very similar to that. Terminators riding horses? No, aliens appearing in um, 16th century Britain. Oh, I can't remember the title of that novel, but... Pride and Prejudice and Aliens? No, no, not that bollocks. Um, but, uh, but with Aliens from Alien? No, no, no. <laughs> oh, Mr. Oh, Mr. Xenomorph! Uh, yes, yeah, so it replays all of that, and and whilst I'm watching this, I'm, I, I'm actually thinking, oh, I wish I was watching the first Terminator film. Um, and um, the, the T-1000 suddenly slurps itself out of the mirror and kills one of the cops... And a truck smashes through the front of the store, and the door opens, and out leans Sarah Connor and says, Come with me if you want to live. And this was in the trailer, and everyone went, <laughs> No. What's that little girl from Game of Thrones doing that line? And then she says, Now, soldier! Maybe we should cut out the uh, possibly patronising references to her being young. and being... She was young. She... she was very young on Game of Thrones. Don't call her a little girl. She's not. I love Amelia Clark. She's she's a nice little chipmunk, but she's not Sarah Connor. Well, she is now. Get used it's to it. It's like casting Kira Knightley as Susie and the Banshees. It's just not going to happen. That's not a film character. In a biopic, it would be. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh my god! <laughs> Never a fine. Anyway, she says, uh, he gets into the van and he goes, you what? What's all this about then? Um, hang on a minute, aren't I here to rescue you? But she goes, no, because this is a film made in 2018 and I don't need saving um, because I'm a woman and you're just um, an idiot, really. You're Jay Courtney. You couldn't rescue yourself from a cardboard box, could you? And whilst this is going on... None of this actually happened in the <laughs> film, by the way. Whilst this is going on, of course, the... T-1000, who, by the way, is uh, Dracula. No, he isn't. Yes, he is. Dracula is, is an example of self-regenerating evil. You cannot kill him. You fire a bullet at him, he goes bang, and he reconstitutes. Oh, I thought you meant the actor. Of course not. <laughs> trying to be literary here in this now. I'm, I'm facing an uphill struggle. Um, the T-1000 throws a blob of himself at the truck to act as a tracking device. I like that idea. I do. <laughs> I thought flinging his, oh, gunk at, flinging his gunk at people. You're a tracker now, are you? Okay, that's that's nice and you. I didn't like that because I was thinking about the science of it. How does that work? It's an he's a pneumatic polyalloy. It's a what now? A pneumatic polyalloy. That's how they work. A pneumatic pneumatic polyalloy. That's what it's called. Okay, I'm not sure about pneumatic in that. And polyalloy is um. Uh, a uh, it's not a contradiction, it's two, two ways of saying the same things. An alloy is an a, a mixture of multiple substances. Oh, it's tautology. No, that's, that's two words which are both true. No. Tautology is saying the same thing twice. Saying the same thing twice? 
going to hurt you. I don't think oh, I'm going to make it out alive from this Terminator Genesis podcast. And uh, that phrase, the, the name, pneumatic polyalloy, was coined by Cameron. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I've so, got a theory about James Cameron. Do you want to hear about it? Oh, boy. Do I? Okay, you know, you know, he likes, you know, he likes going for a little dip in his submarine every so often. Oh yeah, generally about two miles. Are you going to claim that he's been replaced by a sea monster? I have my suspicions. A merman. Because listen, when he went down to the bottom of Mariana Trench, he went down on his own. So how do we know that it's actually Cameron that came back? And when he did come back, he went around telling everybody, "I live on um, Pandora now, and Pandora's where it's at." I think that's a probe, and it's a colonisation attempt. That's my theory. I hope that uh, enlightens you and our listeners. <laughs> I didn't expect them talking about this. Um, anyway, in the back of the van, sitting there is... I'm just still... Processing? Deeply concerned about your thinking practices this is I'm just saying this is a very homoerotic film and James Cameron is, is been a replaced by a sea from monster. the deep sea that's all I'm saying right yeah, that's, that's the take home from this podcast that's entirely a reasonable thing to think am I going to be asked back after the podcast we'll come back and do Dark Fate how Ooh. about that I haven't seen it yet it might not be very good well, it'd be a surprise it might be you know it might be a bit of a it might be the Terminator salvation of this franchise a bit of an arse clincher um, okay, so sitting in the back of the van... Surely it would be good if it was an arse clencher, because you'd be all tense. Well, you certainly wouldn't want it to be an arse loosener. That could be messy. Depends where you're watching it. Where would you watch it where arse loosening would be a virtue? On the toilet. Well, that's a lovely where image. Where else would you want to be? So that's a lovely image. Where would you want to be watching Terminator Genesis, but on the toilet? Don't terminate a dark fate. Dark fate. I'm going to start kicking you before very long. Okay, I'm just messing with you, Jeremy. That's all right. That's what this film's doing. Sitting in the back of the van is... The uh, remains of uh, young Terminator. And his uh, slightly older self. So much for the Blinovich limitation effect. He's driving. Older Terminator. No, he's not, he's not driving. He's in the back of the van. Oh, yes, you're right. He is, yeah, he is, isn't he? Um... Yes, and uh, what's the uh, older Terminator called? Well, you've got to surely concede that this is odd. So he's referred to as Pops throughout all of this film mm. because they clearly uh, they've been racking their brains, saying we don't want to call him call him Dad because that'd be really creepy. And by the way, she had a dad anyway. So what sort of what sort of um, indicator? What sort of label can we give him to humanise him and to signal the relationship? And they come up with pops. And I think it sucks credibility out of every scene in which it's used. It makes me want to tell Amelia, please stop saying, calling him that. I notice on IMDb he's referred to as Pops slash The Guardian. I think slash would have been quite a good name for him. Can you imagine that? No, because... Don't kill anyone, slash. <laughs> Terminator slash. Slash Genesis. Maybe the next one's going to be called Pops Dark Fate. I'm just extrapolating. Well, don't. <laughs> Sorry, it is filthy, isn't it? I'll put my trousers back on now. Anyway, um, pants first. 
That's that was the philosophy with this script. <laughs> I'll let that one go because it was funny. Um, okay, so Carl Reese does one and goes bananas with his big weapon and um, and gets. It literally means nothing. What are you talking about? I'm saying he has a go at Arnie with his big weapon. He starts firing shots. And, and they, knock him, they knock him out. Knock him out, and he has a nice sleep. And when he has a nap, he gets a nice box of Genesis on it. What? He has a dream, and he, his dream is of himself... That's not Christmas. ...getting a birthday present, then, of Genesis, which is what, exactly? It's an operating system. He doesn't know that yet, but it's an operating system. So, I'm sorry to do this to you, Jeremy, but who gets an operating system for their birthday? Someone who wants to be one of the cool kids. One of the one billion that's been sold this. Yeah, one billion pre-orders. Just like they had the, the Season 12 box set. That's very true, actually. In fact, I'm going to Photoshop that image, and I'm going to send it to you, and I'll put the Season 12 Doctor Who Blu-ray box set in there. I'll make it your Christmas card. Why is Genesis misspelled twice? Do you mean misspelled in two different ways? That's maybe what I meant. Well, one's probably a mistake, and the other one is deliberate design choice, because it's supposed to be G-E-N-I-S-Y-S. It is, isn't it? G-E-N-I-S-Y-S. Yes, that's correct. That's how it's supposed to be spelled in the film. Okay, yes. Not Genesis as in the book of the Bible. No. They've deliberately changed it for the film to make something else. Is it spelled differently from that in the course of the film? I didn't spot as much. Oh, right. So it hasn't been misspelled then. That's deliberate. Well, I, I just wonder about that. Why isn't it G-E-N-E-S-Y-S? Is that too close to the book of Genesis? And is the Bible Belt going to get a bit shirty about this? Well, also it says Gene. Mm. I mean... I can understand the why not? Why not? I mean, it's supposed to be a brand name, so... Because there's a lot of Genesis in this film. There's a lot of rebirth... There's the Adam and Eve thing going on. There's the genesis of the franchise. There's the genesis of the software. The genesis of the new age of Skynet. Exactly, yeah. So that's the themet of this film. There's also a big countdown on this thing. And it's meant to be sort of... Uh, uh, you know, And Skynet is, is genesis, is what, what the big USB Skynet, is. Skynet is the OS itself, genesis, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I mean, if they changed the name to make it you know, sound snappy through the marketing team at uh, Cyberdyne, uh, my site... Yes. I mean, they want it to sound interesting. My, MySpace. I wonder if they'd go there. <laughs> and, and the chances be... of MySpace gaining sentience. S-B-A-Y-C. I, I, don't think we need, I don't think we need to worry about no. that too much. It's going gonna, it's gonna to struggle to you know, interest even the tiniest microbe. And bearing in mind where this film goes, it basically makes John Connor Mark Zuckerberg. John Connor isn't the one running Cyberdyne. No, his his, sci- his scientist flunkies are, are doing all the heavy work, but he's the one Cyberdyne who's communing. Is, Cyberdyne with. is owned by the son of Miles Dyson. He is, and isn't he in this film? I'm sure there's a, his son is. I uh, don't believe he is. I don't think the original Miles Dyson is. The original Miles Dyson isn't referred to, and well, well, I, I, aside from being the father of the owner of Cyberdyne, I mean, the, the suggestion is perhaps that the original, that that in the in this new timeline now. Miles Dyson has either died or retired and left the company in the control of his son. I could play with that. So, Miles is in Acapulco. Well, I think we actually get um, his son on screen during a news report. Oh. 
Well, he, um, uh, he appears only briefly and I might isn't, have a really, isn't really relevant to the story. Anyway, he pops out of his dream and starts chatting about what's this Terminator doing in the front seat and all that, and we get a hideous smile from Arnie. I like this. I mean, it's, it's a cheap joke, but I do enjoy them. Yeah, I'm not going to complain too much about that. He gives the old but not obsolete. Um, Kyle Reese asks a key question here, which is, so who sent you back? Mm. And uh, he doesn't know. And that's clearly a thread that would be picked up in the subsequent film. Those files have been erased, apparently. Well, we never found out why Captain Jack Harkness's memory was erased. No one seems to mind too much about that. That's a cross I've had to bear for many years. Yeah, I know. It's, it's been something that's really plagued me. I, I'm, I'm still awaiting for the big finished box set to resolve all of that. Suddenly, out of nowhere, are reacquired by the T-1000. And we get the shot of Amelia Clark with a big bazooka firing out the back of a van, which is, in any other context, that would be a moment of great high comedy. But the high seriousness of the Terminator film makes that very camp. If you ask me. <laughs> so patronising. I know, it's terrible. But I know I have my disciples. And you indeed have yours. In, in Terminator Online. Is it Skynet.com? I bet it is. I think they'd be tempting fate if they called it that. <laughs> well, they're not going to go... I doubt there's any sentience on a forum like that. Anyway, they have a bit of a chit-chat in the back of the van. There's a lot of two shots in this film where... Um, Amelia and, and Jay Courtney have very huddled conversations and they're looking backwards and forwards. Alan Taylor had a, apparently a terrible time on this film. And uh, some cruel people might say that it shows. I'll just put that out there. Um, or maybe the studio shouldn't have interfered so much to allow them to actually is, make the film. There is a sense of, of little... I mean, not to the extent of The Suicide Squad, another film that Jay Courtney was uh, in. And that really, really is a mess. Flipping it. That never had a chance, though. That was always oh, terrible. That was... I mean, I'm, I'm being cruel about Terminator Genesis just to wind you up, basically. But I know. But Suicide Squad is another order of oh, magnitude. It's I mean, it's, it's it's it'll never make it interesting in my mind. Even I know. No, it's, I've seen it. It's, it's crap. Mm. Don't worry. It's barely a film. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't even... It's like, it's like three different pilots for the same TV show edited together mm. in random order. No, no dissent from me on that. So yeah, the Terminator, uh, the T-1000 comes back, blasts and kills. And I have a, I have another issue with the, the vulnerability of these Terminators. What kills these things? Because at the end of Terminator 2, it took molten metal to melt down the uh, T-1000. In this film, an exploding car will do it. And there are times where Terminators can have their heads ripped off and that will neutralise them. That didn't stop the original Arnie. just seems the rules are a bit all over the road. He, he didn't have his head ripped off in the original. He had his legs ripped off. Legs, the legs are not the head of the body. Well, no, but I bet he would have kept I mean, going. you'd be okay if you had your legs... Well, I wouldn't say you'd be okay <laughs> if you had your legs ripped off. <laughs> I'd be a little peaked, you'd I be, think. You'd, I mean, you're not going to be winning any marathons. I'm certainly not going to be... My breakdancing will take a hit, that's for sure. But um, it's survivable. What, my breakdancing? Barely. <laughs> and is the T-1000 actually killed by the uh, fire, or is it just no, slowed down? Because no. it's killed by acid. It is later on. Yeah, it is, isn't it? The, sulfur, the sulfuric acid. It's but here, it's clearly plant. a puddle of, of metal. So an exploding petrol tank will do it in this film. 
which just seems strange because it seems so much formidable in I mean in T T two it is a fantastically implacable agent of evil. That makes that film great. But here I'm not just not sure about what what does kill these creatures. We've had we've had ice, we've had fire, and now we've got a petrol tank. But anyway, they blow it up and, and go about their business, but of course it's gonna keep on coming back. They head out to a um, an abandoned place. I'm not sure what it is. An abandoned tunnel factory. Might might be. There is certainly a naked man wrapped in cellophane hanging around it. Really? Yes, there is. Oh, yes. don't, <coughs> don't be like that. It looks like he's walked out of a uh, uh, a collection of Tom Finned. Uh, well, he's, he's been, they've wrapped him up in in plastic in the back of the truck while they try to take him to the secret town, they secret secret village. They have, and um, they, there's a there's a, a an act, there's a fight, and there's a, oh the T one thousand drips a bit of himself into the T eight into pops. A bit of another bit of his little g- gunk into one of uh, the T1000's orifices. Freud would have a field day, and it animates this. I'm surprised this man isn't, this isn't part of your whole. Oh yeah, this, yeah. this movie My is thesis. gay porn thesis. I didn't say that. I said it's uh, probably unintentionally homoerotic. There's a difference between that and gay porn. <laughs> That's next week's podcast, folks. Uh, no, I don't find uh, none of it's under pre- underappreciated. <laughs> you don't think anything needs reevaluation? I, I, I think people give uh, such material exactly the level of attention <laughs> it requires, if, if only really? for six or seven minutes at a time. Oh, uh, I see. Do you think it makes people rise up like John Connor would would uh, would wish? Yes, and then I think so. Shoot yeah. their uh, ammunition into. all over the see. I've got you. The others. <laughs> anyway. Let's talk about massive tanks of acid. Yeah, they they they, they uh, wind up trapping the T one thousand in an acid trap, and uh, Pops holds him in place while the uh, acid goes all over him and melts him down. I quite like that. Uh, it provides a good shot for the trailer as well, and um, it's a way of dealing with this implacable threat that is different from what they did before, but is still just as reasonable. Yes, I agree with that. They have to get this this character off the board to allow the story to continue. Otherwise, this thing's just going to keep coming, like indeed the first film. So that's a, I agree. I think that's a, um, a fairly inventive way to get him out of play. And it then has consequences because since Pops was holding him in place, all the um, armature all the armature is uh, exposed on his arm. So that the next stage of their plan is to use another set of TDE to time travel forward to 1997 and prevent Skynet from coming online. But Pops can't travel with them because he isn't entirely covered in skin. Are you getting all this, listener? Yes, that's a, a fantastically coherent pricey. I.e. Because, and, and it then becomes relevant all the way around at the end of the movie that you can't go in the machine unless you're covered in skin. How the T-1000 got through, we never know. Maybe he just wraps himself in someone else's skin. How come Arnie in 1984 can build a time machine, but John Connor in 2017 has to have an army of people to do it, and he still hasn't completed it? Uh, Timescales and manpower. The set of t- the, the time displacement equipment that Pops has built is really shonky. 
and it it's works. really small, but it works. But it works. And the one that uh, John Connor is working on at Cyberdyne is much bigger and much more complex. Right, okay. It's Fine. very much the Apple of It's the Alien Windows Time Windows XB to Pops's Windows 95. Windows 3.1. Probably, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's probably all, DOS, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it looks like it's all made of magnets. It's bloody dangerous, if you ask me. Although it does have a naked Amelia Clark in the middle of it all. And indeed, a naked Jay Courtney, if that's your... Uh, if you like bums. And unfortunately, we don't get to see Amelia, because, of course, she has a contract, uh, a clause in her contract these days. Creepy. It's not creepy. I'm just pointing out, post-Game of Thrones, she got really annoyed about this, and she put a clause in her contract saying no more news things. It's exploitative, which it is. Yes, good. So if you're going to do a scene like this, let's see some, some man nakedness alongside the lady nakedness, which is something Game of Thrones was highly criticised for. No. I definitely think she was exploited on that show. And indeed, she's exploited in this. She's clearly being digitally altered because she doesn't have that cleavage, unfortunately. It's the unfortunately that <laughs> drives the stake through your argument. Oh dear. That came out the wrong way. That was, that was more that, how can I wriggle out of this and retain my dignity? All I'm saying is that there's a lot of CGI on the screen and not all of it is to do with T-1000s. So what you're saying is you think that uh, some of the people on screen have had their uh, physical shape digitally altered for the purpose of titillating the audience. Yes, absolutely, 100%. Well, in that case, it's rather mercenary, and I, when applied to... But what about the poster I showed you at the start? That's, that's clearly been photoshopped. Marketing department, not the film itself. Okay, fair enough. Marketing is yeah, it's, it's advertising. It is inherently unethical because it's telling people a yes. lie they want to believe. Um, but, uh, I mean, if it's used to slightly de-age an actor, that's not great, but it's excusable, depending on the context. In a case like this, where it's being used to make uh, an actress's breast bigger as a means of titillating the audience, then it's clearly pretty unethical. It's seedy, isn't it? Done. Yeah, it's se seedy is a good word If we're talking it. seedy, what about resurrecting the dead in terms of Peter Cushing? If it's done with the uh, approval of his legal estate, then I don't see the problem. If it's done badly, the way it's done in Rogue One, then yeah. I have a problem. But that's more of an artistic matter. Uh, I'm not sure it was done with the... I believe, it, I believe it was. Mm. Because they own, they own the rights to his likeness. And also I think Cushing would have actually got a bit of a kick out of it. Maybe. Uh, anyway. I mean, I, had a, I, mean I, I thought it was badly done in Rogue One because the actor they chose to do the voice did not sound anything like Cushing. He didn't even get his diction right. And he was too tall. I didn't notice, but maybe he was, I don't remember. Anyway, once we're time travelling... They're going to travel to 1997. Oh yes, there's this but, conflict I have, yes. But Reese says, no, they have to go to a different year. They have to go to 2017, long after the war supposedly started, because he now has two sets of memories. Because when he was starting the time travel process, he saw the whole um, face grabbing of John Connor, and he started remembering things differently. He remembered his own life, but he's remembering being young and growing up in the world before the war. Indeed. And that something happened in 2017 
that led to the war in this new version of the history that he remembers. I'm glad you're here to explain all of this, because I, I, my head was spinning. So many people were complaining that this film didn't make sense. I found it perfectly coherent. Maybe I'm just that much clever. I just think you're clever. I think that's, that's, that's the problem. I, I need to get it in is, your brain. It is, a, it is a cross I've had to bear that, that people are generally just not as clever as me. And you're just, it's, it's how humble you are with it. That I think is the final clincher. Hey, I, I, I don't see it as. Uh, no, I, I, I don't. I don't look down on people for for not being as clever as me. You just think they're insects. And no, no, no. I watch Terminator films. I watch Terminator films. So yeah, they they they're off to go time traveling. This this I thought this was just an example of a uh, contrived um, conflict that um, she gets to point guns at him. This and then he comes out with this thing about her lifeline which they think they're being clever. What they've actually been doing is watching The Time Traveller's Wife and thinking, oh, we'll have a bit of that for The, the Terminator. You know, we'll have throw-forwards, which are paid off later. Uh, then they take their clothes off, slowly. They're separated by a bank of lockers. And, and he gazes into the middle distance. At her nude silhouette. Well, he can't see that. That's all on the other side of the lockers. It's very chaste. And then she says to him, tell me... At what, her yes, her nude shadow, I mean. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's not great. But she says to him, tell me about John. And he gets all misty-eyed going, he taught me everything. He's his best he, friend. He's more than that. Imagine, Come on, then. Imagine if you had a best friend. <laughs> I don't know, what would that be like? I've, yeah. heard, I've heard word of this. What is but this? unfortunately, most what people is this? like Terminator what Genesis. Is this? What is this word, friend? So, yeah, she, uh, he's lost in, in um, misty-eyed reverie about John Connor, whilst uh, the world's sexiest woman is disrobing not less than two metres away from him. And then, because you can't actually do a sex scene in this film, because it was rated, what, about 12, wasn't it? A PG-13, yeah. So, unlike Terminator, the original one, where you did get a sex scene... Why would they have to have a sex scene in this film? Well, they do. They have a uh, surrogate sex scene, which is the oh. transcendent time travel. Come on. Man. They do. That's obviously the orgasmic moment of where they're going, uh, and they're literally rising up. That's the, it's the visual metaphor. And they're watched by pots, which is really yeah, creepy. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, so hell. maybe not, then. <laughs> is it safe to say my reading of this film is slightly different to yours? Yes. <laughs> Well, I think I'm right. I think that this should be... Uh, warped, um, all right. Warped, it's right. So they... And in, in another moment, I will concede of inventiveness. They do materialise in the middle of the motorway. And there is a moment here where I'm, I will credit the writers for actually answering a question that I had at this stage, which was, hang on a minute, isn't this being filmed on every camera in the vicinity? And uh, it is. Cameras? And it is. And that's paid off. It's a fair place then. And indeed, they're so clever that they do a repeat of the bite me line. Um, because Pops knows where they're supposed to arrive and when, and he's turned up in his car because he's got a car now, Yeah. and he's all old. And later on, Jay Courtney asks him, you had, what, 20 years to prepare, and you were late? And his response was, stuck in traffic. thought that was a, a moffatism. thought that was a lady, lazy, hand-wavy... I think that is a perfectly reasonable bit of writing. He's, a, he's got a time machine. He could any. And by the way, he how does he know he, where to turn up? He knows where they where he sent them. 
where and when. Oh, right. Randy's so it's, it's not random then. I thought. Then why did he send him in the middle of a bloody motorway? Well, maybe it's maybe after you send them, then there's like a motorway is built. Or there's like data that he interpreted. I don't know how it works, but he didn't do it on purpose. But he knew where they would go. Maybe he was had some kind of detector so that he knew where they would turn up. A pops detector. No, he is pop. He doesn't need to detect himself. No, that would be it's a, a personalization. Pops apostrophe he detector. Had, he had something that you know could measure time displacement energy. Anyway, more Amelia. Let's have let's have a little flashback, another flashback to her childhood which um, apparently was idyllic. Boat trips on nice lakes until the lake turns into metal. Yeah, and then the lake jumps out and kills her parents. <laughs> as, as it does. And, the, and she's rescued by... CGI. A, a youthful Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I will point out here, he's wearing the same outfit from the first movie, even though it would have been the early 70s. In 1973, I think, is, is the time they talk, because I noticed it was my... Uh, oh, because he's nine. She's nine, birthday. yeah. And the, the double that they've got for Arnie... Is, a, is not a great double. Yeah, that's... I mean, it's hard to find doubles for him. For Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, of course. They would have been a laugh if they got in someone like Stallone. They needed, <laughs> they needed... I think that's why he's dressed the way he is from the first movie, because it needed to look like him. To think, yeah, that's the Terminator. He's dressed just like him. So that it kind of gets past the fact that physically he's not quite there. I think she'd been dressed in a little mounty hat. And, um, and even bridge. then... It's it's a memory, so you can say, well, the memory's imperfect. So. You're so generous to it's, this film. It's, it's clear what we're supposed to be seeing. It's just that they can't do it because you have to have the, the connective tissue that keeps everything together. Well put. I think that's top-notch analysis. And yet, you maintain this is a bad film. I don't think it's bad. I just think it's mediocre and, and bland and... There's no passion in it. There's no drive. There's no sense of hunger to it. There's no excitement. There's no sense of hunger to Terminator 2. Uh, there was, a, actually. Cameron, you know, massive budget and new developments in CGI done brilliantly, used perfectly. But it was yeah. it was building on stuff that had, he'd done. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, a, you know completely out-of-the-box original. Oh God, no! It no. was uh, it was almost predestined to be a huge hit. And I agree. I think the first the first one compared to the second one, they're two totally different filmmakers. They're totally different genres. Yeah, the first uh, one's a horror movie, and it's much more of a Gonzo B movie. You can sense the sort of the, this is the guy who who was on Piranha doing this. It's yeah, it's it's more violent. It's it's got economy it's, in it. It's. It's an 18... Yeah. It's an uh, you know, R-rated movie. Um, it's sort of under-the-shelf, nasty little... But it's it's so lean, mm. and it's so beautifully crafted. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd probably argue that it's Cameron's best film. He's never equaled that. Mm. I, I would, I, if I thought about it long enough, which I don't try to do with James Cameron, I would agree with you. Anyway, who turns up playing a nutball... Terminator fanboy, but Mr. J.K. Simmons. And I believe this was his first role taken after he... I don't know, I think he'd already... Yeah, he signed on to do the film and I think shot it before he won his Oscar. For that fantastic, terrifying performance. Now, I can't watch Whiplash because I unfortunately have encountered horrifying music teachers like that and I don't want to go through that again. 
but I, I believe me, that film is a documentary. But the contrast uh, between yeah. the, the two characters is very nice because his character in Whiplash is a monster. Yes. And here, he's lovable. Mm. And I like the, 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 the twist in the Terminator lore that he's the surviving cop from the department store in 1984. And uh, ever since then, he's been convinced... I missed that. ...that there are... That, you know, these, he has this line later. What was it? Goddamn time-travelling robots covering their tracks. <laughs> and he's been going on to people about these time-travelling robots for a decade or, two, tw- or 25 years, and no one's believed him. And now suddenly, here they are again. I, I agree. I think I, I do like him as an actor very much. I think... That line, though, you wouldn't get in, in a James Cameron film. Cameron, no. Cameron takes his films ultra seriously. You don't get near comedy turns like that in any of his films. Uh, it creates up some sh- some light and shade in the tone of the film. That you have this... He's not a comedy character. He's a funny character. But he, he serves a purpose within the story and it's grounded within the context of the story. Yeah, there was humour later, like the the mugshot scene, which is it, it's mm. a cheap it's a cheap gag, mm. but it works in context and it's quite funny. Even with the bad boys, cops. Even even the then, I think yeah, this is this is a cheap joke, but it is quite funny. Mm. What I like about that scene is how quickly it skates over Jay Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> because you have the you have the you have Jay, picture of Jay yeah. Courtney, you have the picture of Sarah Connor who's tiny. And the, and the picture of Arnie, who's taller than he actually is, and then he smiles, and the smile looks horrifying. And the smile is too much. He should the, the gag should have been, yeah, he's six foot six, but we all know that Arnie is about five foot nine. Well, but look, well, the gag is we know the Terminator's huge. We know we we know he's supposed to be that big. I think someone should Photoshop a reverse of the Emilia Clarke and Arnie shots and make her six foot one, and him. Five I, foot three. I think you should do like a deep fake where you swap their faces around for the whole movie. That would be really disturbing. Her doing the Arnie laugh, the, the grin. <laughs> I did see a very funny uh, deep fake where. Um, oh yeah. Um, Bill Hader um, has gone up to this and is a very talented impressionist, impersonator rather, and he does a, a perfect Tom Cruise impression, and they did a, um, a face swap over to Tom Cruise whenever he goes into character, and it was very funny. It was from like. Stephen Colbert. Where are we? Oh yeah, they've they've rocked up. They've been taken to hospital, and they're having a chit chat about God knows what. Amelia says, "Don't think holding onto you naked meant anything because it did not." Great line. And uh, and then they get a visitor. Goodness me, it's Mark Zuckerberg. It's well uh, before that, um, they noticed that the doctor who's treating them has Genesis on his phone. Oh, yes, yes. And he explains that it's it's this new operating system that connects all your systems, and it's going to be the 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 nervous system of the Internet of Things. I struggle to see why anybody would be excited by something like that. You'd be better off if Skynet basically released a version of Candy Crush. Then everyone would be getting it on their phone. Oh, it's free download, let's have a play with it. Bingo, I've got every single device. Yeah, but this way it, it can control your fridge, it can control your yes. toaster... It's, it's in charge of everything everywhere, not just computers, but everything. Everything, even the military. Because that's the because they're using it too. Because who, fools. who doesn't want their fridge to be connected to a drone strike? And they talk about how the timeline, now in this timeline, Sarah doesn't exist because she's been plucked out of time. 
young Kyle is 12. Important point. Let me just relevant. flag that point. In this timeline, she doesn't have any fingerprints, any social security. She is unidentifiable. Bear that in mind for something that happens later on. Uh, Whereas oh, Reese boy... Reese uh, is, is a 12-year-old boy. Indeed. And then the, the Department for Homeland Security arrives, and it's John Connor. So this is a man who's currently at the top of a of the biggest company in the world. One billion pre-orders, uh, pre-orders they, they are bragging about. Must surely be a famous public figure. He's not the head of the company. But even so, it's like, you, you know, he, he would be recognised if he walks into this hospital. I can believe that he wouldn't be. You think that in, inside Sky... Is it, is it stated that Cyberdyne is the biggest company in the world? I mean, it's a logical assumption mm. because of how they're talking about it, but is, does it doesn't necessarily follow. You're right. I mean, when they destroy the buildings at the end, the assumption is that's the end of them. That's, yeah, Cyberdyne No other offices elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. But I, my, my thinking was he would probably be recognised, which means that what follows beggars belief. But then again, if you go, no, he probably wouldn't, then that would make a he lot of help. He's the head of special projects for a big tech company. And this is How big, what, the time travel? Do you know what Johnny Ive looks like? I do not, no. Neither do I. Is there a Johnny Ive? Sir Jonathan Ive. Who's that then? He's the head of design at Apple. Oh, I'm not an Apple geek, I'm afraid. But he's a very big, important person in tech. Mm, and neither person does know what he looks responsible like. Responsible for... Our devices. He's, he's, I mean, he's probably just some white guy. What do you mean, our devices? I don't know anything about Apple. That's true, nor do I. Um, actually, I do have an iPhone. Wait, what am I talking about? The, anyway. Oh, do you mean the one you're literally, literally holding, holding right now? in my hand? John Connor walks into the room, smiles at Jay Courtney, and holds up a key. Yeah, whilst O'Brien outside whoa, sees... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. Nice big huggy hug from... Uh, yeah, Kyle Reese. It's his best mate. Nice to see you. He thought he'd never see him again. He's <laughs> delighted to see I've him. I've been thinking about you undressing me since prior to my time travel. That didn't happen. Yes, it does. Watch the film. He doesn't say, I've been thinking about you undressing me. No, he doesn't say that. No, but so don't tell lies. So. He, nice man hug there. Sarah, of course, being his Just because you hate being touched. I certainly, I certainly wasn't touched by this film. Sarah sits there because she's a little bit dubious. And on TV... Oh, yeah, Arnie walks through the front door where, with a big comedy-sized bear. I don't quite know where he's putting his hand in that shot. Inside the seam of the bear. Where the pyjamas <laughs> yeah, go. I think that's what Jay's been doing. <laughs> but O'Brien's... Se- <laughs> what? Uh, anyway... O'Brien uh, sees the pops arrive. Yes, he does. And recognises him. Is that right? I don't know if he does actually, but he, he sees him. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. And John proves that he's real by mm. uh, telling Sarah that they would listen to Elton John songs together, and that I think makes it canon that John Connor is named after Elton John. That's quite interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Lucky he didn't just like Queen. <laughs> Could be Freddie Connor. Although you know he would be immediately predisposition to like Mercury and the T-1000 would have got him straight away it's lucky I've got a quicksilver mind (sighs) you're quite right she does attest it's a rather twee little thing apparently she sings like a dead cat I think is what I like that I like that as a nice little I'm not sure how a dead cat sounds but Arnie heads into security with his big teddy bear and, and viciously deactivates the security guard there 
spots our, our heroes heading for the car park it, with with uh, John Connor, which proves to obviously trigger a bit of a reaction from him. Doesn't Kyle call him dad? Oh, I see what no, you mean. No, you're no, you're no, saying John, John Connor. Connor calls Kyle yeah. dad. Yeah. Which is the first slip of the tongue that he makes of that nature ever, even though they've been best friends since John Carl Reese was a child. But now he chooses to refer to him as dad. His mum's there. Mm. And, he's, and he's in a different environment. Again, Suspen- okay. suspension of disbelief. Mm, okay. Anyway, then Arnie appears. Yeah. And he kills and, John and Connor. And he blows John Connor away. And the credits roll. And oh. I applauded. <laughs> that was a quick movie. Yeah. Um, Far from it. They think that the that Pops is reprogram- programming is reasserting itself, but uh, John Connor's blood uh, starts flowing back into his body. He pops back onto his feet, and it turns out that he's a Terminator as well. Amazing twisteroo. I don't know if anyone would ever have seen that coming. But well, if I, they hadn't seen the trailers, then they probably wouldn't have. I certainly wouldn't have guessed that the guy with the scars all over his face... From was, battle. Uh, from having been in, a, in a, lots of space battles. He'd mysteriously With robots. And, and having had Matt Smith, you know, like, grab his face. Sarah says that oh, Skynet has taken over John and travelled back through time. And, and uh, given that there is no fate, as has been said many times, no fate but that which we make ourselves... Uh, he's planning on killing his parents before he's even born. Imagine that. John and Pops fight all the way through the hospital and they fire an oxygen tank through a wall. Yes, they do. It winds up getting trapped by an MRI machine. And I'm sorry to do this to you, Jeremy, but this is a famously stupid scene that misunderstands what an MRI machine actually does. It's a big magnet. It's, it's not, I'm afraid. <laughs> It's an electromagnet, which creates a localised magnetic field, which would never do anything like that. Why doesn't all the other metal in the room, and indeed the metal in um, Carl Reese's blood, um, get sucked out of him towards the magnet? Why would he have metal in his blood? Everyone's got metal in their blood. Haemoglobin, iron. Yeah, but you can do that in one of those machines and it's fine. It you know, your blood doesn't get pulled out of your skin. Exactly. So that's my point. So but that only, can't happen. Yeah, but it only works on people who are made of iron filings. You know, it's like you know the one the game where you draw on the beard with the, <laughs> with the magnet. He's made of that now. Oh, happy days. Yes, iron filings. So but had, sentient. We had a Terminator who is made of liquid. Now we've got one who's made of sand. What next do you think? Uh, one made of gas is going to be a, like a fog Terminator. Well. It's funny you should say that, because there are science fiction books these days which play on that thing that Prince Charles was so shit-scared of, the grey goo. Oh, yeah. And there's a a novel I read recently by Alistair Reynolds called Century Rain, where the stuff that the Terminator is made of rains out of the sky onto a city, and it just literally dissolves the city very quickly. Which, uh, and I wish that the Terminator series would lean harder into that sort of stuff. It's not just people chasing each other and... And metal monsters. Well, they're doing it now. I hope that's hope this. So. That's this. What Genesis? Yeah, they've got, they've got yeah, men made of iron filings. Yeah, I mean that's a step in the right direction. I think this should be. Speaking of which, he's trying to step away from that MRI machine, but he keeps leaving like little shadows of himself with every step. It's a nice CGI effect. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, Frame Store did some good work, I think. I'd like to see a Terminator made of sweets, like the Candyman. What about a Terminator made of? Mushrooms. 
You mean different strains of mushrooms? Yeah, because yeah. he could have like a long one for his no, arms. That would be a bloody nightmare. That'd be something out of some folkloric horror film. <laughs> he could be like the Mushroom Man. And then I, should, I think he should have a British maid or an Irish Terminator. <laughs> yes. Choose your next criticism carefully. No, I'm saying it would be really well built and it would be terrifying. It would be a, an instant, an instant hit with the audience. Um, you just want Pierce Brosnan to play a Terminator, don't you? Now that is an excellent idea, and he would really make a go of that. Not Pierce being a Terminator. What a twist! <laughs> <laughs> what if he was a dancing Terminator who did the twist? What, like, cross Mamma Mia with Terminator? Well, we've had Terminators riding horses. What about a dancing Terminator? Yeah, like those sort of robotic dances you get on the South Bank doing body popping. Well, I mean, if they're waiting 30 years for their mark to turn up, they've got to earn a living somehow, so they've got somewhere to stay. And earning a living, you know, body popping, that's, you know... That's as, a no-brainer. As, that's as reasonable a uh, career path for robot killing machine as anything else. I wish I was a body popping killer robot. So they've, uh, yeah, they, they managed to get away, and... Um, oh, shit. Really? Yeah. It's very exciting. And, um... There's a bit of a time jump where suddenly um, J.K. Simmons just kind of comes to, walks out, and the uh, MRI room is a complete mess. There's a nice little bit where Ar- where they cut to the uh, security room that Arnie had gone into, and it's a total, total wreck. Mm. He's trashed the place. I don't know why, but it's quite a nice gag. The little bit of info here is, is they're talking about what the hell is John Connor now, and they're saying that there were some experiments where they tried to make human Terminators probably see a bit more of this in Dark Fate. Apparently, most of them went insane and died. Like Robocop 2? Ah, I didn't get that reference. What I did get was that here comes Carl Reese again, thereby claiming that John is unique and one of a kind after the big man hug, the, uh, him helping him well, out of his clothes. After him you know, being turned into a, a you know, etch-a-sketch guy. Yeah, well, he's devastated now. He's thinking, that's, yeah, his, that's it. His best friend. Best friend. His best friend. Stop that. Yeah, put it away. I, I just think it's it's sweet. I, I'm all for it. So am I when it's there. We'll, we'll get you a time machine, okay? And do what? Well, we'll go forward um, a couple of years and and see if civilization's not been taken over by monster robots and see if that if it's any improvement helps. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the fact that he's been zapped by the MRI scanner. Sarah Connor stuck her head round the door in that scene and went, that won't stop him for long. And sure enough, here he's next scene, walking down the corridor in uh, Facebook and talking about what he's been building, which is very impressive, actually. I like the set, the, the big time sort of machine. Toroidal. It looks really real, actually. Mm. And then they're outside having a bit of a press conference in, a, in, I think, a place that could be in central London, certainly Canary Walk, where they're counting down to this Genesis they unfortunately inevitably use the line the ultimate killer app. Oh, I love that. Cheese, cheese, boom, cheese. Boom, boom. Yes. With a billion pre-orders. A billion. Billion pre-orders. Can you imagine that? Yes. Because <laughs> it makes me think, what did they sell previously to earn such customer engagement and trust? Um, pasta sauce. It's got to be something... I mean, it's really, really good pasta bloody, sauce. Bloody, bloody good pasta sauce. It's like, yeah, it's vegan. And it kind of, kind of moved like, around It was like vegan cheese pasta sauce. But you can't tell the difference between 
fat and non-vegan, but it's also really low in fat. I don't buy this for a second. That's craziness, Jeremy. What are you talking and about? And they do vegan carbonara sauce as well, but it's like you know British carbonara sauce, where it's got bacon in. But it's it's vegan bacon, so it's not real bacon. But it tastes as good as the real thing. So yeah. it's a way of having like a really low-fat, delicious pasta sauce, but much better for you and good for the environment. And why would that not be a huge commercial success as a business plan? I mean, it's weird that this pasta sauce company was called Cyberdyne Systems. But, um, you mean Cyberdyne you know, Sources? I mean, cyber anything. I mean, you don't want cyber in the food name because it makes people think of robots. Saucydyne? Well, whatever it was, I mean... They were very, very successful. It took a lot of effort to like rebuild the company from being like a pasta sauce factory into having like a giant time travel tour. Time travel middle. thing, yeah, and but, the whole um, um, robotic nanotechnology thing. But uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, it, it really took no leap of imagination at all for me to see how they became so I successful. I take everything back. I see the light. I am convinced. Clearly. I've missed an entire ten-set novel uh, backstory. This was, this was all in like the comic book, um, oh. like prequel issue that came out. The whole pasta era of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. systems, right? It was called Terminator Carbonara. Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was that? <laughs> anyway, back to um, damn! I should have called it Terminator Salivation. <laughs> Well, there's so much source to be derived from the Terminator franchise. <laughs> anyway, we are um, back in some other redoubt that uh, Sarah Connor's dad apparently took her to when she was a ween. God knows it looks like Cromer on a bad day. and It's, uh, it's in the Bay Area. It's full of tunnels <coughs> as well, isn't it? Um, full of what, sorry? It's full of tunnels that Arnie's yeah. been stocking up. I have to say, I was really bloody disappointed that when they time-travelled to the future and Arnie's left there, doing his mournful look. What was obvious was that we suddenly get a montage of him living through 20 years and having to get day jobs. And um, I wanted him to go to work. I mean, actually, he does say that he went to work for Cyberline as a construction worker, but he should have been fired as, uh, as one of their development people for withholding and kiboshing any projects that would lead to an AI. He would have had to have qualifications to get that job. He's a, he's a Terminator. He's full of he's a bloody walking computer. Yeah, how's that going to work in a job interview? How's that, what's he well, gonna, okay. What's I he going to put on his CV? Social skills would have been a bit. He doesn't even have a social security number. He was probably you know paid under the counter as a construction worker, where you can you know get away with that sort of thing, even though you should. He could have just made up a name so that they've got something to call him. Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> My name is John Smith. Okay. Harry Tasker. Not like we're writing this down. Yeah, okay. I, I wanted to see him serving uh, tables and being... I mean, really, you wanted to see him working in Starbucks. That would have been great. What is your name? <laughs> I, I don't really want to tell you my name. Tell me your name. Your name. No! I will terminate you. Uh, and then the cameo from Jean-Claude Van Damme. That would be nice. <laughs> they don't all live in the same house, you know. Well, they, in The Expendables, they do. You need to see those films. No, I don't. Yes, you do. See the first one. Um, Sarah's got lots of old drawings and pictures posted up in there. Well, Arnie's put them up. Yeah. Well, has he? Or has she, do has she done it? Well, I presume because he's been stocking this place with ammo for 20 years. Yeah, but so. they were living there. 
that's my thinking that they were living there secretly. Oh right. And okay. she drew pictures and things while he was busy polishing metal and doing God knows what, building bombs. You don't think it subtracts credibility from the crazy murderous killer robot that she's shacked up with? No, because he didn't draw the pictures. I'd love to see that scene. Him with his him tongue, learning to draw. Him with a crayon. Tongue hanging out the side of his mouth. See, there's a lot you can do with Terminators that, that they really haven't exploited in the movies. We've got, so far we've got horse riding, job interviews. Body popping. Body popping. Pasta making. Pasta making. No, no, no. No, but pasta was, oh, made, by, it was made by the company. It was, made, it was made by perfectly normal humans. That was Terminator prehistory is the huge mafia mm. pa- pasta empire they had going. It, wasn't, it was a perfectly legitimate business. Huge, great big vats, great big stoves. I've been, I've been to a cheese factory. I know what it looks like. <laughs> I've been to, I've, 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 I have. I've been to the Gruyere factory in Gruyere. It's great. Did they have Oompa Loompas? No. I went to the chocolate factory down the road. Really? Yeah. And? Oompa Loompas? No. Oh. Really? They don't have Oompa Loompas in chocolate factories? No, it's racist. Why is it racist? Because they don't pay them. They have to pay the people. Was Willy Wonka not paying the Oompa Loompas? No. I understood that Willy Wonka imported the Oompa Loompas from Oompa Loompa Land. Yeah, in a ship where he kept them shackled in, in the in the hot in the hole. Like Amistad. <laughs> Opening up the Yeah. The, I think they the, should remake Amistad with but, but with Oompa Loompas. That would be a damning indictment of the chocolate industry. If it were true then yes. Well, we're post-truth. We're way, way post-truth with here. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was not a true story. I can't emphasise that enough. Blasphemy. Magnets are apparently really important. And um, Pops and Reese have a loading contest. Uh, loading, yeah. loading guns quickly. But uh, Pops is starting to have spasms in his hands. Which he solves by giving himself... A good big bang. Mm. And then whilst Sarah Connor is finding her old headphones and um, beatbox, Arnie goes outside and finds more magnets to create a knuckle duster, basically. Yes, so that uh, it will... Disrupt the magnetic field of the pneumatic polyalloy? No, that's the liquid terminator. Ah, of course, this is something quite different. Yes, Yes. it means that he'll, when he punches his, his fist, won't just go straight through. It'll actually make contact and have impact. That would certainly help. And would you believe it? Just as, as Sarah Connor and Carl Reese are having another chinwag about, I don't know, bloody fate or something, who walks in through the door? John Connor. And he's being threatening and saying... He's actually quoting lines from an early 1980s he's, horror film. He's doing the lines from the original he film. certainly is, yeah. Which and is he's a nice... A, a nice little tweak by saying, I won't stop until Skynet rules this world. And Amelia gets to say, rule this which I thought made her sound like she was a teacher. Well, they do steal a school bus. They certainly do. And off they go to the bus, and they have a chase. Uh, and the, but the whole place explodes, and John walks out in his uh, Terminator form and turns into himself wearing leathers, and he steals a bike. In front of a crowd of people. In front of a crowd of people, and like all his flaming stuff comes off, and it looks great, and there's a big chase. And Arnie comes off the bus and he goes face first through a, um, a car. He does. And he says, get out. He doesn't. He says, nice to see you. Get out. When he should have just said, get out. Which is what the T-1000 said in Terminator 2. And it's what the Terminator said in the first film. I don't remember that line. 
Yeah. Well, he, he he's stealing the the big truck at the end. He climbs in and ah, goes out and, okay. he, and he turns to drive and he's got like the red eye and everything. Yes. And he goes, get out. I wonder if we'll see that line again in uh, Dark Fate because well, we're certainly well, going to see I'm, I'll be back. We Well, we've had uh, Sarah Connor do the I'll be back line uh, so maybe everyone's going to like play musical chairs with their dialogue. Yeah. And we can all go, I'll oh, remember that line. Yeah, it's an absolute car crash on, guess what, the Golden Gate Bridge. Cops turn up. There's a big back-flipping school bus, like in The Dark Knight. And there's a scene where they're all holding onto each other off the side of a bridge, like in um, Jurassic Park Lost Worlds, I believe. Oh, that's a deep cut now. And then they're taken off to the cops. To and, the cops. We get the mo- and we get the mugshot gag. And I'm not going to belabor the point here. They're interviewed. They're interviewed slightly oddly. They're dragging, they drag out the real... Kyle, well, the real Kyle Reese. Real, real contemporaneous Kyle Reese. I thought they could have made more of Arnie being in an interview situation. I licked my lips in anticipation of that. I thought, oh, this is going to be good. Him giving lots of very flat, unironic responses to um, an interviewer. But he just goes bananas. There's a line, one of the cops says, who's Lurch? Not even sure he speaks English. Arnie repeats the scene from Man of Steel where he breaks the uh, handcuffs. Mm. And he goes rather satisfyingly bananas. He goes way straight through a, a, a wall, which is the sort of stuff I want to see in a film like this. And it turns out that the other non-speaking woman in this film is unfortunately a Terminator. Oh, dear. And it's, in fact, deep breath, John Connor. Oh, wow. <sighs> yes. Now, John Connor uh, morphs out of the female cop here and gets makes to approach Arnie and then the scene cuts and we never see the battle the only thing we see next is Arnie reappearing we don't see any of that and I wondered cut scene what's going on there J.K. Simmons bursts into the interview room with Sarah Connor in it going why are they always trying to kill you we're here to stop the end of the world and Sarah manages Sarah twigs that the little boy is the actual Carl Reese is young Carl Reese and she tells him the line that her father told her about swimming straight, don't look back. Indeed. That older Kyle told her earlier in the movie. So it all loops around nicely. Genius. I it's, don't know how they call this. It's craft. Is it? Like cheese, you mean? Gunfights. Helicopter chase. Big helicopter chase, yes. And, and, we, and we get the line where he's hanging on in the... Uh, uh, pops is hanging on in the doorway, turns to Sarah and says, I'll be back. And she says, what? Yes. And he jumps out onto the other helicopter. I'm not I sure, like that. I'm not sure whether he pushes the helicopter off the side of the building at the side of that scene, it, because the helicopter goes over the edge and falls and then takes flight. Oh, yes. I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. The, the John Connor thing is still after them big time. It's quite nice. Arnie gets a shot of uh, free-falling and smashes into John Connor's helicopter. And as luck would have it, it lands in Facebook HQ. And um, there's a hologram there. Skynet is already sufficiently sentient and appearing in the form of a holographic child. It's meant to be slightly creepy and spooky, but... um, And they they have their plan to... uh, they're going to blow the place blow up. Blow the place up. And uh, Arnold blows, uh, t- Pops knows the layout because he was involved in building the place. They said, well, you had a, you were involved, you built this place. Says, yes, until I was laid off. I'd which like is, to see that. Which is a nod to Schwarzenegger's background working in construction early in his own career. Oh, I didn't know that. He had, uh, yeah, he had a little sideline when he was at university 
in um, a little construction business because he was already working as a well, working performing as a bodybuilder. Mm. And um, when the builder turns up and he's built like that, you think hmm, probably value for money. Probably he can build a house with his bare hands. Arnie has um, javelins, some part of the helicopter. Oh, the helicopter skid, because yes. John Connor's giving his giving it his sort of new age speech, and uh, yeah, he says he, he talks too much. Yeah, John Connor apparently feels pain. He certainly looks that way. He does a similar thing as in Man of Steel, where he pulls the javelin through him. Mm. And then, really, what follows is is a little Star Trekky. So they're being taunted by holograms throughout the the institution. Big fight transpires between, I mean, this isn't news, between Arnie and the John Connor avatar. Skynet finally taunts Carl Reese with uh, the Matt Smith version of Skynet. The question about all of this is how the hell are they going to resolve it? I mean, we've seen acid, but that destroys only T-1000s. And I think the resolution of it is fairly ingenious. Yeah, it been, is, has been it? set up. Skynet gets a line that would be used again very recently. He says, I am inevitable which is what Thanos keeps saying in yeah. uh, Avengers Endgame. But it's it makes sense here, because every time they postpone Judgment Day, they postponed it in uh, Terminator 2, they post- they, yeah, it comes back again in Terminator 3, and now they've postponed it again, because well, it's happened like like every, every single time. They never revert it, they only just manage to put it off. And Arnie has a magic gauntlet as well that gives him a superpower. Mm. If, yeah. any, if anything, Avengers Endgame is heavily ripped off from Terminator Genesis. <laughs> there's there's quite there's quite an ask. I mean, I I know what you mean. Uh, the two are it's I mean it's they are ridiculously similar. I just think Avengers Endgame's got more. Uh, Avengers Endgame is really long, uh, but it, it had more zest, more spirit, and also it was it was the end of an era rather and this, than. And this, oh yeah, there's a lot of Avengers Endgame here, isn't there? Yes, yeah. I forgot about the whole travelling back to events of previous movies. Absolutely. As well. Yes, and gauntlets and gauntlets, um, inevitable villains. Absolutely, and then Arnie steps into the time machine with Don Connor, and he does have a nice line: "Protect my Sarah." Again, a little I bit think of there. Did it roll, Jeremy? Maybe no, because I've seen this one before. Um, but it would have been again. It's like at the end of Ten It would have been nice if it had just been said flatly. I know because he can't express emotion, but he's he understands the emotion. Yes, I, I agree with you in this case, I think. But I, I tend to buy that he's evolved and grown over the last 20 years of, of living among humans. So if nothing else, he's managing to... That is a, a comic book that's waiting to happen, really. It's just the Terminator living among humans for 20 years and trying to blend in, not draw attention, but prepare for yes. the coming day. Because as you said, in Sarah... Sarah Connor Chronicles, there is that bit where a Terminator bricks himself up for 20 years and then bursts out. Yeah, he, 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 ri- he arrives 100 years early uh, for an assassination attempt, so he gets a job working on the crew that builds the building where it's to take place and gets himself bricked up. And I love that. That's, uh, that's inventive. That's a good use of time travel. Yeah. And then we don't see any of that in this film. Why, he, they literally just leave him there and you just go, where's he going to go? Because that, that's, that's a, a digression. This film needs this film needs to be tighter and more focused than You're that. You're saying Cyberdyne's prehistory as a pasta manufacturer isn't a digression. That was in a comic book, whereas you could do a comic book series about the Terminator living oh, among humans. That would be brain. interesting. That's what I think. They do a dance of death in the middle of a time travel machine, and uh, and it's all it's all spinning and doing stuff, and obviously dangerous, and dangerous too. Mm. 
nice shot of Arnie's disintegration. But unfortunately, this is a sequel baiting film. He gets flung out of the of the sphere and lands in because one other thing they're doing, which we haven't mentioned, is they're already working on T one thousands and there are pools of pneumatic poly alloy around the outside and he gets flung off into one of these pools that happen to be there. Which makes me think you know, they, they kept all their Terminator stuff in one room, didn't they? They did a bit, didn't they? You want it all in like convenient reach of each other. Well, all the old pastern-making machinery must be in the other rooms. Well, yeah, well, they used the troughs for the, uh, for, to mix all the... For the rivers of cheese and, and, yeah. and sauce. I love tomatoes. Uh, no, not tomatoes. It was carbonara, for fuck's sake. It's cheese sauce, not a tomato I'm sauce. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know my Terminator cheese law. I mean, I, I appreciate you not know much about pasta, but come Maybe on. because I'm allergic to gluten? And yeah, gluten. but you can still have the sauce. Boy, can I still have the sauce. <laughs> um, the entire building is blown up. The entire building. And John Connor is, is shredded by the, by the thing because he's not wearing any human skin that he's pinned from somewhere. Yeah. Which was presumably how he came through in the first place. Um, and Sarah manages to get through a securitised door via her palm print, although we have been specifically told there are no records of her anywhere. I wondered if this was another throw forward. What's her role in the creation of all of this, considering we're looking at a potential trilogy? So she was able to get in through the door. She gets out. It says, please identify yourself. She says Sarah Connor and the door opens. Maybe that's uh, something to be resolved. I think so. There's tiny little lines in this where they're clearly going... We'll deal with that down the line. It's possible that the that Potts was responsible for removing records of her so that she couldn't be tracked. Mm-hmm. And what's she doing in their database? Well, yeah, well, we don't know. That's something else. Something for the sequel. Basically, the entire building goes kaboom. They hide behind a door and they're rescued. And then, of course, she does the usual Terminator thing of, of going back and saying, look, we can't leave any bits of him behind, any robot appendages that might vibrate or any, any things that might you know need to be melted down yeah Carl Reese goes but you're free now you can do what you like and yeah goes, it's, oh, it's yeah. all it's all over and then something comes smashing in through the door mm. and it's a T-1000 but it's Pops 1000 oh. he's been upgraded the Poppinator that's oh, what a delicious uh, <laughs> it's, it's like a popcorn maker delicious, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the family is reunited so so it's a Terminator movie with a happy ending. Who Everyone, everyone's fine. Radical. They defeat the bad guy. Nobody's dead for a change. And they go and visit young Kyle Reese. And older Kyle Reese gives him the thing that he has to remember for the memory that he will have from his other timeline. In a deeply creepy scene. Yeah, I mean... Stranger turns up. Parents shouldn't really let their children be alone with a little boy like that. But someone knocks on your front door, goes, "You don't know me, but you better remember this." And it would be good if uh, there was like he commented, "Oh, who's who's that lady with you? She's cute." Like he's (laughs) already from a young age. Watch it, kid. (laughs) Hey, you know, give it a few years. Mm. (laughs) Sing because eventually it'll be okay. And learn how to make carbonara. Um, but uh, they they drive off and Kyle and Sarah kiss and there's the uh, another, and, another and, smile. and Pop smiles and it still looks weird and they make a joke about how it still looks weird and say well no the future's open for now but one thing we do know is that it is not set and neither was the box office <laughs> and then we do have a teaser where 
Did you not watch any of the end credits? No, I was out away? as fast as possible. What there, is, there is a teaser halfway oh. through the end credits where uh, there's the demolition crew at Cyberdyne, oh. and they're all starting to clear up all the crap and everything. And inside the, the big time travel t- Terminator room, one of the hologram projectors is still working, and the hologram reappears. And it's who? Matt Smith? We don't see. It's from the back. Oh, I see. So it's just so it's, just know that it's working. Skynet stuff and running. Oh. Well, but, uh, but apart from that, it's a happy ending. And uh, that's, that brings the Terminator trilogy to a thoroughly satisfying and upbeat conclusion where they've fought hard and they've suffered and they've been through so much that they come out of it smiling. And what better way could there be than to... Uh, end this wonderful film series on such a, an upbeat note where struggle has paid off, heroes are rewarded, villains are vanquished, and the future is secured. So, have I convinced you that it is in fact a good film? I, I am convinced that on occasion you enjoy, what do you mean, a little bit of a countercultural maverick? <laughs> Thanks, old friend. Every word I have said, I mean. I don't lie about this sort of thing. I take this no, seriously. No, I don't think you're doing this as an affectation. No. I, I, I genuinely I think I, this I, film I, is great. I mean, okay. I'm playing it up a little bit for humour, but I genuinely think that this is like a nice conclusion to the, the first second in this film. It's a nice set. I knew that you and I were going to disagree about this film big time, and I was quite looking forward to that. And I... I hope that this is an illustration that two people can hold two completely different views and still not hate each other. Oh, I've always hated you. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, did I walk into that one with my (laughs) eyes open. Truly, there is no fate but what we make for ourselves. It's a piece of corporate product, and that's all it is. And it's badly cast. It's badly written. It leans too hard in nostalgia. It's got plot holes. It's sequel baiting. It flopped. And dark fate will presumably reap the uh, the whirlwind because these days, these days, bad films, uh, good films don't get sequels. Bad films get sequels. We're not allowed to get away from yeah. So we're going to get another Fantastic Four film, even though the last one was rubbish. We're going to get another Terminator film. That doesn't that doesn't track with what you said. Those films keep getting more movies because they're known they are intellectual brands. property and they make money. Yeah, and it makes no difference whether or not the film's any good. Yeah, that's that's they keep making Avengers movies because they're good. Uh, they make they make money, but they're good. Yes, but the Terminator it's film is crawling along like Arnie at the end of the Terminator, and honestly, I think the two writers of this film were just groveling in their adoration of James Cameron, and they were talking about the great universe that he had created. No mention of Harlan Ellison, and in fact, I think that the Terminator films we're probably explored more about the potential of this franchise in this podcast than the franchise has itself. There was more explanation in, exploration in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. They had the capacity to expand a lot more, though, though. And have a small I mean, the, I mean the, com- the combined running time of the Sarah Connor Chronicles is more than all the movies put together. Because this is an attempt to mitigate risk for Annapurna's investment. That's all it is. And that's why they've gone for fan-baiting stuff. They think that was the route. They were proved wrong. And now Cameron is... This. And we will see how Dark Fate, with the chain-smoking uh, Linda Hamilton, 
Fez. The uh, Mackenzie What's-Her-Faces in it, and she was very good in a show called Halt and Catch Fire, which is about the early development of computers. I like her a lot. I'm a bit disappointed to see her in this, but and I have half an idea of how the plot's going to go, but I do know that the plot will be vaguely comprehensible. Well, <laughs> he said. To begin with, you're wrong. What? Um, Linda Hamilton is a chain smoker. Mm, I wish she wasn't. No, it's not good, is it? Um, now you've thrown me off. <laughs> um, it doesn't. Well, I can only just reiterate what I've already said that I think that it, it is a coherent film. It's complex, but it is perfectly coherent if one pays attention. Oh. Um, uh, I think that it suffered from poor promotion, uh, franchise fatigue from two mm. weak preceding instalments which I think will probably put pay to any attempt at the Fantastic Four because it, it's a tainted brand. Mm. Um, I think, you know, it started pulling at the box office because of that. It did carry well. Um, and I do think it's a genuinely good film. It, it does have problems. I'm not saying it's without flaws. Of course not. But the flaws themselves are not enough to counterbalance what is an enjoyable, well-plotted, well-made, exciting and entertaining film. When I first saw it, it was actually at the end of a very long day when I'd moved house. Ah. So I was pretty exhausted, looking forward to going out in the evening and having a nice meal and seeing a, a film I'd been looking forward to and relaxing. And I was concerned before I rewatched it that maybe my mm -hmm. feelings about it were shaped by how I was feeling that day. I was maybe in the mood for something undemanding, just sort of action-adventure in the same way that after a previous house move, I went to see Charlie's Angels Full Throttle because I just wanted some fun, enjoyable, mindless wallpaper after a tough, tiring day. But when I re-watched the film, I thought, no, I was right. This is actually really good. I'm enjoying this. Good. And you know, maybe this is the hill that I end up dying on. Well, then don't Termin Terminator to Genesis is a damn good film. Well, don't listen to cynics like me. Don't worry, I don't. <laughs> Thanks to Anthony for making time for this podcast. Cinema Limbo is now on Apple Podcasts and Acast with more than 70 episodes available, so please download, review and subscribe. We're also on Twitter at Cinema underscore Limbo, and Podnose is also on Patreon, so please do make a one-off or regular contribution to help with our running costs. However, until next time, I'll be back. Mm -hmm.